have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you. By giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit, you'll get four weeks of food per person with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. So it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast. So don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per 50 cents. No, not 50 cents. $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't wait. Do it today. 
All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart, uh, Facebook, uh, <laughs> Wherever else I am, I have no idea. Uh, just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the least most is the radio ticketee, Annie, along with my co-host who's probably sitting over on the other side laughing his butt off, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, enjoying this um, overcast sky here. Uh, we had some heavy rains yesterday, but... I think we send them up your way, so we, we're pretty cool down here in Florida. I, actually, I think Florida. we. Sent, I think actually we we sent it down to you. <laughs> oh, we had all our so rains yesterday and last night. <laughs> wow, well, I appreciate right the free car wash. <laughs> it was a bright sunshine. Yeah, well, it was just in time because I call my SUV Big Red. It's a big red. Ford Expedition, and it actually became the Italian flag, red, white, and green, because of all the pollen. So the rain came around just in time because I was going to have to take it back to the car wash. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's the issue here too, the pollen. Oh, so man. I was glad. Uh, so bad. I, I mean, even walking out to my mailbox, uh, and you know how long my driveway is. My eyes were just oh. running. I was just, yeah. Anyway, we've got ourselves a really jam-up uh, show here today. Uh, Tiffany Thompson was supposed to be with us last week, but she had to back out last minute for scheduling. She will be here today, so she's going to kick off oh. our show. And then, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of you have heard about this new uh, business out there called Red Balloon. And what they do is they cater to those who love freedom. So they connect people uh, that are not woke <laughs> with those who love freedom. So it's a website for conservatives to meet employers or to find companies if you need someone, say, for uh, your repair your car or paint your house or whatever. You can go on there and find a conservative group, one that's veteran-owned also, uh, and have them, you know, give them your business. So it's not just for employers and employees to hook up together to you know, get a mutual business arrangement, uh, but it's also for you, the consumer, to find businesses that you would prefer your money to go to rather than mm-hmm. some woke organization like Disney. So uh, the founder of that is Andrew Krupp. I'm going to practice his name, and now I'm going to mess it up. Well, I'm glad it's you and not me, because <laughs> I've been <laughs> studying the name for the last few seconds. I don't have a clue how to pronounce it. Crapuchettes, I think. Uh, Something like that. Well, we'll mess it up with him. (laughs) Uh, He must have had a hard time going to school with that last name, though. (laughs) Anyway, uh, your friend and mine, Raynard Jackson, is going to be joining us also. And then, of course, it's our bi-weekly with Mark Tapscott from uh, the Epic Times. And Heritage is sending us back Jonathan Butcher. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot to do. And I want to welcome everyone that's here in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio, as well as those that are joining us over on Facebook and YouTube, where you can watch my lovely face as I mess up the show once again. (laughs) But like I said, we have a lot to go over, a lot to talk about. But uh, there's also a lot in the news. Holy moly. 
I mean, if Joe Biden can keep his mouth shut just for one day, I'd be really, really happy. But they're putting him out there every single day lately. And I swear, now he's touting uh, us buying these electric cars, and we're going to save, the average family's going to save $80 a month with the electric cars. Well, for a lot of you out there, how, how much have you spent just to fill your tank up lately? At four, five, six, seven dollars a gallon. Eighty dollars is just one tank full. That probably get you through a week, maybe two. And the eighty dollars you'll be saving with the electric car, well, that's going to go into the payment for that car, because you may have spent sixteen or twenty thousand for your gasoline uh, vehicle, but you go to buy an electric car, you're looking at a minimum, on average, fifty-five thousand dollars. That's not a small monthly payment. So you may save hmm, it may be $80 a month in gas, but how much more are you going to be paying the bank for that car? Does anyone yeah. really know what the hell they're talking about coming out of that White House? Really? I mean, every single day it's something dumber and dumber and dumber. Anyway, well, we'll get into that later on. Yeah, that's their agenda yeah. anyway, to get us all over to electric cars. Yeah, yeah. And what are you going to use to produce that electricity? Coal power plants? Right? You're going to use um, we're power gonna, plants. We're going, to wait for, uh, we're going to wait for a lightning storm once every three months. <laughs> and they're not building new nuclear power plants that are more efficient than coal. But, you know, coal can be burned clean also. But no, they don't take that into consideration. Uh, anyway, we can go on our rant on that one a little bit later. Uh, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with the dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer Jorge David Alvarado, Jr. of the Salinas Police Department in California. His end of watch was Friday, February 25th of this year. And this is coming from NBC News. And it reads, Salinas police officer Jorge David Alvarado died on Friday, February 25th at night. He initiated a traffic stop near East Market and Griffin Street at around 10.41 p.m. that Friday, according to the Salinas police chief, Roberto Felici. Officials did not provide details around how the traffic stop turned into a shooting. Alvarado, 30, was a five-year veteran of the force, according to the Salina police. At a press conference the next day, Saturday, Salinas Mayor Kimberly Craig said Alvarado is the first officer to die in the line of duty in nearly 80 years. Our community and our police department are devastated, Craig said. My request to the community, please support and embrace our police department right now. They are hurting. The suspected shooter is in police custody, according to police. The investigation into the incident had been turned over to the Monterey County District Attorney, Janine M. Picconi, as it is protocol in police-involved shootings. And this is from the Monterey Herald by Dennis L. Taylor. 
one by one, family and fellow law enforcement colleagues stood and spoke at a public memorial for the Salinas police officer, Jorge David Alvarado Jr., who was shot and killed in the line of duty. They spoke of his sense of service, his love of family, and the ideals that drove the 30-year-old man. Roughly a 1,000 members of law enforcement from as far away as Boston, Chicago, and Dallas sat in a sea of blue to pay respects to Alvarado, who was helping plan his wedding when he was shot and killed on February 25th. His fiancée, Veronica Alvarado, shared some of the funny moments the couple shared, his love of nature and their mutual love of animals, pausing from time to time to take some deep breaths. She shared what she and Alvarado were, high school sweethearts. We're inseparable, she said. We're, we're each other's purpose. Now I feel I've lost my purpose. David Espinoza, an officer with the Dallas Police Department who is from Salinas, looked out over the scores of uniform Thursday and said he was comforted by what he saw. I love the support, seeing all these people come together, he said. David Alzar, an officer with the Chicago Police Department, is part of a group called Brotherhood for the Fallen. These officers collect donations and sometimes spend their own money to travel around the country to memorialize fallen police officers. I've been to several of these, one in Seattle, one in South Carolina, and now this one, he said. And honestly, it can become emotionally exhausting with the grief. Bagpipes played while military and law enforcement color guards carried the flag dregs casket into the Rappobank Stadium. Alvarado's family, shrouded in black, followed behind. Before becoming a police officer, Alvarado was a U.S. Army sergeant and a combat veteran, having served in the 101st Airborne Division during Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. Carlos Mareva, a retired firefighter from the Carmel Fire Department, and his wife, Juana, traveled over from the peninsula to pay respects to Alvarado. The ceremony reminded Mareva about a fellow firefighter who lost his life and was memorialized in a similar way, drawing firefighters from as far away as Minnesota. As Mareva told his story, Lana scanned the estimated 13,000 people in the area lawn, plus hundreds more in grandstands at the rear of the stadium. It's so moving to see the sea of law enforcement, she said. Jorge Ernesto Alvarado, the fallen brother, officer's brother, who's also a Salinas police officer, recalled his little brother's sense of humor. Jorge Ernesto Alvarado is the oldest of four brothers and described D-Boy as a warrior. He was a man of service and he died being in service, Jorge Ernesto Alvarado said. On February 25, he never retreated from his final battle. Salinas Mayor Kimberly Craig cautioned about politicizing Alvarado's death 
and lauded the outpouring of sympathy the community has shown, noting that thousands of people have stopped by the police department to pay their respects. She lamented that the night before, sitting in front of her laptop, she struggled to find the words that would comfort the family and the community of Salinas. What do you tell a military family? What do you tell a law enforcement family? She asked. I don't know. I don't know what to say except I am so, so very sorry. Alvarado's boss, Salinas Police Chief Roberto Felice, reflected on the difficult moment for both Salinas Police and the broader community. J.D. was a fighter, a warrior, and a guardian, he said. He fought right up to the end. He gave 100% because that's who J.D. was. Before coming to Salinas, Alvarado served in the Coma Police Department. Commander Sherwin Lum recalled the huge smile that would often be on Alvarado's face each shift when he came on duty. He shared that Alvarado earned the nickname Koala when a fellow officer texted him for a ride and inadvertently got a text back from Alvarado that featured a koala emoji and a heart. That was meant for my love, Veronica, read Alvarado's response. Lum said, but it was too late. The nickname stuck with his fellow officers. He was a tender-hearted soul, Lum said. Jorge was a good one, and it seems God takes the best. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Alvarado. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its promising future. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herrington. My name is America. May God bless each and everyone.
others gave it to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for, my respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power, but their vicious deeds become my finest hour because my Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, up on iHeart, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, oh, and half a dozen other places. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm the hostess with the mostest right now, the Radio Chicken Tea Annie, along with my courageous co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Um, and right. Curtis, you know, this is... This was breaking news just before we came on air. Um, things are really heating up over in the Ukraine. Um, they actually went to the Ukrainians and took out a Russian uh, fuel depot inside Russia. They actually aggressively attacked into Russia and took out a fuel, fuel depot. Uh, and at this point, some of the Russian troops are starting to st- step a little bit back. Oh, man, uh, I don't think things are going the way Putin planned them. I really don't think so. And he has well, no choice but keep on pushing. I believe that um, we have some of our special forces on ground um, instructing these, you know, um, defenders on how to use certain weapon systems. And they are the unsung heroes in this matter. You know, they'll never get credit for it, but I have no doubt. We have um, some of our, you know, commandos there um, helping these guys out. 
Well, I know a lot of them that are former military, uh, special forces especially, have been going over there and training the troops. You know, they're not official government, they're not on the government payroll. These are private individuals, former military, that are going over there and they're teaching them how to use the weapons. So in a way, I think you're, you're correct, but I don't know if Biden had the cojones to actually send active duty over there. But we do have individuals that were special forces helping to train Ukrainians, teaching them tactics, uh, things that they didn't have. And, you know, Putin is so has lost so many men in this in this invasion that he had to conscript. I think they said 130,000 troops for training. And, you know, as well as I do, there's a difference between the all volunteer military and one that is drafted and conscripted and forced into service. See, one is willing to put their life on the line. The other one is probably more willing to run and, and hightail it out of there. So this is going to be an interesting dynamic to the whole situation. The force that he, the fact that he had to conscript these people, these men, and that's interesting. Plus, you've got Ukrainian women returning home and taking up arms learning and training so they can fight side by side with the men out there to help defend the homeland. And it's not exactly going the way I think they plan, is it? Oh, no. And like I said, um, it's, it's numerous reasons why. I think he underestimated the will of that nation. And I think um, his people weren't as prepared as he thought they were. And I'm talking about uh, Putin's forces. I mean, mm-hmm. we have always used the Russian army as uh, as the um, main um, threat to to the United States <clears throat> before China starts flexing its wings. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of bewildering that um, they're having so many problems now. And this was the threat that we we once were so concerned about, and now they have problems in the. Uh, kind of like a third world country like Ukraine. Mhm. So I it, it but you mentioned China and China is actually really heating up over there. Um up on Newsmax yesterday they had a a a, a far east expert and he was showing how the Chinese had been island building all around areas that they originally claimed was part of their territory. They just may start moving in on on Taiwan sooner than we think, because once Taiwan falls, all those little other island nations will also begin to tumble. And China's been planning this for a long, long, long time. And people don't realize, you know, the Chinese don't plan things to happen overnight. They don't say, all right, we're going to do this probably in a couple of months. They plan this. A hundred years ahead, they always have oh, yeah. a hundred year plan and and not to so, um, <laughs> not to promote a book I wrote, but I will anyway, but two years ago, I wrote a book on that very subject of um, China um, invading Taiwan and what would happen if they did. So it was available on uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. <laughs> nice little plug. <laughs> nice little plug. Well, we're waiting for 
Yeah, we're waiting for our guest to call in, uh, so hopefully she'll be calling in in just a few minutes. Um, and uh, we'll have a blast here. But uh, she's got some great, great new music out. So and you'd be pleasantly surprised, very pleasantly surprised. But there's also you know, so much more going on. You know, here's here's the newest uh, plan that's coming out of Bozo Biden's head. Well, I'm sure it's some, one of his staff came up with the idea. What's that? A different type, a different type of a stimulus check. Every month they're going to pay you for your gas. I mean, where's this money coming from? Oh, that's right. There's a printing press in the basement. Our money isn't backed with anything. And the more they print, the more our dollar is devalued. It's bad enough we are going into hyperinflation, or as someone called it, the Bidenflation. Uh, it's bad enough. But the more they do this, remember we used to call it quantitative easing? Well, no one's using that term anymore because, you know, it, 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 triggered, it triggered people. But it's still the same principle. You can't create wealth out of thin air. You've got to back it with something. We have nothing to back with. And, oh, that's right. He's going to be releasing, what is that, a million, uh, a million, uh, oh, oh, good Lord, the oil reserve. I just had a brain fart. Yeah, I think oh, it's man. for like the next couple of months, right up until the election, so people won't have that on their mind. That's all that is. For the, for the next six months. What did that do? Bring gas down a dollar? Not even? Ten cents? Fifteen cents? Over the next six months? And yet our precious reserves will be so depleted that if we were for, forced into a war, we don't have the supplies to fuel the equipment, the ships, the tanks, the other vehicles. We're not going to have anything to power them with. Oh, that's right. We're going to use electric, right? I can just hey, imagine taking got, an electric tank into a battlefield, right? That's going to work we got real solar, well. we got solar power, too, as a backup. <laughs> <laughs> you know... It, what's coming out of this administration is just mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. And just, I don't know what to say. I just I just simply don't know what to say. Well, like, uh, I, like I said before, there's a lot of Democrats that I know personally who are um, just upset about what's going on because it's finally hitting them in the pocket. You know, food costs, um, gas, as you mentioned, and just food shortages. You know, a lot of these, there's a lot of minorities that own small businesses and they're struggling under this administration. So that's good for us and um, the upcoming midterms and stuff, but it's still hurting the country well, overall. Well, it looks like we've got our guest in on the line. Let me see if I can bring her in here. And I do hope this is Tiffany Thompson. Is it? Hello. Yes, it is. Thank you. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, I have with me my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And uh, what is going on? You've got some new stuff coming out, don't you? Or has come out. I do. Yeah, I've been working on a new project. I think of it as music that is designed to both be, you know, entertaining as music should be, but also actually sort of shape our civic 
formation and think about some of the things that we need in our society today and how music and the songs that we listen to can actually sort of serve a really meaningful role in how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves with our neighbors. You know, when I was listening to your music, I'm, I'm also had the TV going on in the back, so I'm watching the news. And we're in an upside-down world. I mean, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's so refreshing when someone has an upbeat view and feels that, hey, we don't always have to feel down and upset and angry. Uh, mm. We can always find something good around us. And in some way, your music does that. It's like always saying, there's mm. always hope, there's always a better place. Mm, I love that you find that in the music. That's that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, I think that that is the the I wouldn't say necessarily the intent, but sort of the the desire behind at least these two new songs specifically. They uh, were co-written with one of my favorite collaborators, a friend in Nashville, Jen Bostic, and we sort of inhabited a few different. Um, ideas, some speeches, some poetry, some uh, ancient texts, and from that came these two songs, Soul of the Nation and Band Together, which both came out this year, and I think that, you know, there are different things that art does for us and that we do with it, and sometimes it helps us express and um, just sort of go to those emotional dark places, and sometimes it helps us to sort of reimagine the future. And so these two songs really do desire to specifically help people in a dark time imagine something beautiful and uh, be just three and a half, four minutes of hope and encouragement because it's hard out there. And sometimes a song that you can hit play on reminds us uh, that there is a really beautiful tomorrow that we're a part of making. Well, I have four different songs here um, that I have to, I wanted to play with you. And the awesome. first one I have is called New Communions. And I have little mm. notes scribbled all over the place. And um, <laughs> and it's, it's very obvious in this song where your faith is. And there's mm. a lot of uh, things that just made me think back into the Bible where you use certain phrases. So from mm. what I can see to you, your faith is very, very important to you, isn't it? You know, it is. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I come from, uh, I'm the daughter of a pastor. So I, I once remember reading uh, some articles about uh, Bob Dylan and different seasons of his writing life and how the, the metaphor is that he was sort of steeping himself in one season would show up in his music. And so I think that, you know, as the daughter of a pastor, sort of some of my strongest metaphors and reference points, uh, whether they're... Um, you know, current or, or old school come from these stories of, of being raised in, in the church and, and around those metaphors. And so, yeah, I think that song particularly plays with that. Um, and I really wanted to write something that almost had like an Irish drinking song uh, to it. <laughs> and so the recording went a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of Americana pop almost in sort of the structure of it. But when I play it live, I usually... I play it uh, a lot solo, and I and I often get asked to sing the chorus, just a cappella at dinners with friends or different things. So it really has sort of come 
to fruition as a song in my catalog that works as a great opening song to a set and, you know, sets that spirit of raise a toast, be here with this community and, you know, let's, let's jump into life. And I'm, I really, um, I'm grateful that the muse brought that song to me. (laughs) Well, I'm going to play new communion, but I want listeners to know that if you are interested in Tiffany's music, you'll find her at Tiffany Thompson music.com. There's a link on the show page. You can always click on it and become one of her fans. This is her song, new communion. That's if I can hit the right key. There we go. Welcome, new communion. Let go of your pain and burden. Admission is free. Just confess you're a human. With a heart open wide.
that song you know what i love also is the hidden double meaning is in it mm. and i, I mm-hmm. i'm hoping that you intended that because you can say communion as in communications or communion as in receiving the love of god mm. i like that i i like that interpretation as, as dylan always says you know if you find it there then then it's there so i'll let you just be the one to judge <laughs> <laughs> Well, you do know he used to be a rabbi before he became a musician. Well, uh, he would have been a young rabbi since he started at like 12. So I believe it. Him and, you know, old, yeah, well, old Jesus Christ. He was studying. Hanging out. He was studying. To, he was being studying to be a rabbi. And yeah, in the Jewish faith, they do start to uh, uh, study the Torah at a very, very young age. So at the age of 12, I could imagine. Mm. Yes. I I love Dylan I'm seeing him tonight in Greensboro actually it's my first time oh really oh nice yeah I know very excited I didn't know he was still out there touring that's that's, that's interesting he's back on tour right now I know so exciting (laughs) well isn't it funny that those of our my generation I should say correctly they're still getting up there on the stage, you know, even though they're still wheelchairs, non-walkers. You <laughs> <laughs> still got something to say, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, right now our our nation is being torn in that a thousand different directions. There's always someone trying to play the victim game or trying to get you to say that, Tea Party people are bigots, racist Nazis. You know, you hear all these things going on, but we forget that, you know, we came here united as a nation. We threw off tyranny because we all believed in one essential thing, love of God, love of country, love of freedom. And we seem to have gotten away from that. Instead, everyone's out there for the political power. Who can be in power the most? Who can control you the most? Who can dictate how you live and not how they should live? Uh, we forget what our nation was really built on, haven't we? Well, I uh, don't consider myself uh, a sort of a political artist. I think I write on you know themes of human existence. So I, I you know, I find that just the thing that people are struggling with is how we how we build bridges to each other and how we communicate and love um, versus critique. So I think that that's a human challenge throughout history and we're in a moment when we need to lean in and, and practice that act of neighborly love, I think, more than ever. Well, what my point was trying to get to is that your music has a way of uniting everyone and reminding us who we are. And that brings mm. me into the second song I wanted to play, which was Soul of the Nation. Mm, yeah. You like the way yeah. I wrapped that one up? <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's great. Yeah, definitely. A song for the moment. Well, tell us about that song and how you came around to uh, to create it. Yeah, I... Um, 
I had a really beautiful job in New York City for a few years. I am now living in uh, Winston-Salem. But when I was in New York, I had the opportunity to work with a leadership community. And I was uh, helping to bring events to life for them. And, and one of the things that I came to understand is really the power of legacy and what a legacy is and how a legacy takes intention and you have to work on it over time and it has to evolve and change but stay rooted and it's a, it's a very hard thing to craft a beautiful and meaningful legacy. And so it was really out of the conversations in that leadership community that Soul of the Nation was birthed. And uh, it's intentionally pulling themes and phrases and virtues from a, a really broad array of references. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, it, it lands where I really had desired to kind of have a civic hymn. So there's no bridge. Uh, there's just four verses and uh, the chorus, and it's meant to repeat in a way that people could eventually really sing along and play it around a campfire or something like that with their friends. So that's uh, kind of what we were going for when we created it. Well, my notes here are right here saying for this one about divisiveness. You know, you were more into mm. uniting people than dividing. And I have here that it, the, the flavors I found in it was like you mentioned gospel, folk, and country. It's like it all blends together so smoothly. So you can take from a little here, a little there, like just bring us all together into one beautiful harmony. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I it's I recently um, submitted it for NPR's Tiny Desk concert or competition, and I, I felt like it. I was having some conversations locally with a friend of mine who's a spoken word poet, and uh, he has this beautiful piece called My Music. And so we ended up doing a video of the two of us performing, and I took out my third verse, and he put in his verse. And we sat there and performed it together in sort of a, a, a living out of what the song is saying, that, you know, you have the openness to sort of hear and listen and collaborate. And it was a really beautiful experience to uh, bring the song to life, even in a new expression, by living out the virtues and the values that it's uh, trying to communicate. Well, this is Tiffany Thompson, and this is her song, Soul of the Nation.
I had picked out a total of four songs, but I don't think we can get through all four of them before you have to go. Uh, one of them I happened to have loved was the one, um, Human Life, and how important mm. every human life is. So we're going to have to skip that, but we're going to tell people to go to your website, TiffanyThompsonMusic.com, and they can learn more about your music. But you have a brand new release uh, called Band Together. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, Band Together is sort of the sister track of Soul of the Nation, and uh, it was also co-written with my friend Jen Bostic on the same writing retreat. And it really it speaks to this idea of sort of the, the joy, the, the motley crewness, the felicity that is found in a community of people who are fighting for good together, even when it's hard and, and even when the storms are raging. And so I think that this song is sort of in this whole body of work that I've been exploring of of uh, tracks that we can sort of put on, on those days that we feel uh, that shadow of, of darkness around us, that sort of cloud of despair and, and something that'll lift the spirit. So that is what we took a swing at. And I, I love that we recorded it in Nashville with a live band and have some uh, gospel vocals on it, the same uh, women who sang on Soul of the Nation. So it was pretty fun. Well, I was, that was my next question, is that when you go to record these, do you lay down tracks and then put, piece them all together, or do you just go in and do it a live session? You know, um, it's a little bit of both. For these two songs, I really wanted that energy of people making together. It was really important to me conceptually. Um, so these, we did Ocean Way Studio, which is on Music Row in Nashville and brought in the musicians. And then, um, I did the like final vocals later. And then the gospel singers came in as a trio, uh, a few days, few days later. So there's a, a combination. It's much more economical to not, uh, get a big studio for like three days. So if somebody wants to help us buy out Ocean Way, I'm happy to to have everybody together in the same room, but for now we do it a little bit scrappier. Well, we're going to close out your, well, Curtis, we're down our last five minutes, and the song is about four minutes. Uh, we're going to close out with this last song, Band Together, and I want to remind people uh, that they can go to Tiffany TiffanyThompsonMusic.com. There is a link here on the show page, and a lot of people listen to us in the archives. So I'm sure as they're listening, they can click on it and find out and learn more about you. You do have a a, a tour uh, thing up there, and you've got a concert coming up in the near future, correct? I do. I'm playing on a wonderful program called the Martha Bassett Show, which is uh, syndicated at NPR next Thursday in Elkin, North Carolina. Well, great. Absolutely great. Well, Tiffany, it has been so much fun having you, and you've got to come back again. And don't make it a couple of years like last time. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for the invite. I, I'm honored to be here. All right. And this is Tiffany's song, which you can also find up on YouTube, uh, Band Together. So, Tiffany, God bless you for all the hard work you do. And we'll be talking again. Sounds good. Thank you so much.
All right, tell me why I don't have any sound. Oh, uh, because I think I muted it. Dummy Annie. And Let's try that again. Let's start at the beginning. Boy, it's... <laughs>
That was Tiffany Thompson, and you can find her at TiffanyThompsonMusic.com. What a wonderful voice. Isn't she a beautiful singer? Curtis? I would say, I would say angelic. Uh-huh. She's a wonderful oh, singer. Wait. Yep, absolutely. I'm just sending a message to make sure the next <clears throat> guest does call in because he's a few minutes late. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful album, and you know, you can feel her patriotism in it, even though she says she's not political. You can feel it, and uh, mm-hmm. that there was that one song that I played, um, the second one. I imagined uh, that would be uh, uh, something that would be good for a Trump rally, but we have our next guest here on the line, so let's w- welcome the next victim in. Let me just get this off because I can hear something in my background there. We don't want that. Okay. And I know I will probably mess up his name. Uh, He is the founder (laughs) of the Red Balloon, but I'm going to try it anyway. We have Andrew Krapuchetes. Did I say that close? That's, you know, it's pretty close. Um, I've heard much worse, as you can imagine. It's a a terrifying name, but uh, yeah, it's Krapuchetes. It's Andrew Krapuchetes, uh, redballoon.org. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, you must have been teased going to school. I'll tell you that with a name like Oh, that. there's any number of things you could do with that name. It's uh, and unfortunately, it's, it's very phonetical. It's crap, you shit. So, <laughs> well, that's how I kind of you know wrote it out on the papers. I guess it's what French origin. It is French, and actually, when I'm in Paris, uh, they say capuche, and it sounds really cool. But in America, it's just crap, you shit, and sounds not <laughs> as cool. But oh well. <laughs> Well, you formed a really great organization called Red Balloon. Tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, so I was a tech executive for the last 20 years. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I moved to Idaho to try and find freedom. I like to think I was a early adopter of getting out of California. Um, I married a beautiful Southern girl because I'm smart. And um, and so I, uh, being part of this community here, um, it was great. But then uh, I got removed from the tech company that I was in because I was a little too conservative and a little too Christian. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, this is an opportunity for me to use my, you know, in the in the tech world right now, you're just not allowed to have an opinion unless it's their opinion. Um, and so I thought, okay, I I should use my skills and my resources to bless other people. And so. Uh, I started a job board, um, not super complicated. I called it redballoon.work because if you've ever been in a hot air balloon, it's a little bit terrifying and a lot bit fun, kind of like looking for a new job. So there's there's your balloon part. And a lot of people are moving to red states or red parts of blue states to find freedom, to find freedom to work, find freedom to raise their family um, and to live without um, kind of some of the uh, uh, cancel culture and overreach that we're seeing everywhere around us. And so and then redballoon.work because I do think work is actually redeeming. It's a good thing to work. Um, and so I wanted to focus on that. So redballoon.work was founded merely to help people who wanted to find fellow conservatives uh, who um, wanted to just focus on getting work done and not political activism. So we started six months ago, and we have had over 1,800 employers sign up and raise their hand and say, you know what, I believe in freedom, and I believe in the Constitution, and I will uh, respect the freedom of my workers to um, make their own medical decisions, whether it's about vaccines or whatever. Um, and we've had over 700,000 people on the site looking for freedom over the last 
um, six months. And so it has been a really fun journey and a ride um, and a little bit crazy, but um, super duper fun. Wow. Yeah, I, when I was on there doing my research last night, I keyed in where I live. I'm like, I'm in the heart of the Tri-Command. I mean, I've got the Marine Corps Air Station one direction. I've got the Paris Island uh, Recruit Depot in the other. I've got the Naval Hospital. I mean, this, you can't get any more red than where I live. And I did not see one business signed up for you. So we got to do something about that. You know, maybe you have to have come. <laughs> maybe have you come visit here and do a pitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, you would think so. And there, I mean, and that is then that is the trick is we're we're constantly looking for more employers. We're constantly looking for more employees because we want to grow this as much as possible. Because the more that we give people options where they can find jobs. Um, and they know that if they speak their mind at work, it won't, and it costs them their job. Um, and a lot of these companies, you know, I was talking to um, a lady at Deloitte, and she said, you know, we just went through two hours of CRT training. So it's not just in our schools, it's in our big corporations. And she was basically told she was evil because she was white uh, for about two hours. And then at the end of that, they, her manager gets up and says, you know, I think all these unvaccinated people shall go to an island and die together. And no matter what you think about the vaccine, and I have very strong opinions on it, uh, but no matter what you think about it, that kind of comment is just totally inappropriate for uh, people to give to each other. And so she decided that, you know, this is my moment to be brave. So she stood up and said, hey, just so you know, I'm not going to get the vaccine. And so it was. uh, And the whole conference room kind of is dead quiet. Right. Uh, But. She said, and then two or three other people stand up and say, yeah, neither am I. And the point of the story is that it's a lot easier to be brave when you know you're not alone, when you know that there's other people who think the same way that you do. And conservatives are the largest ideological group in America, but we're the least likely to say anything. And so um, bringing this full circle back to jobs in your area, you know, we need more employers um, to post jobs on Red Balloon because it does one, it does two things for you. First, it gives you access to the best kind of workers, the type of people who want to just focus on work and not political activism, um, want to bring value to you as an employer and your customers. Um, and so it's a huge win on that front. But the other thing you do when you post jobs on Red Balloon is you're encouraging to fellow Americans. You're telling people that, you know what, I'm willing to stand for your freedom. And if you, um, like that lady at Deloitte who probably um, either lost her job or ended up being curtailed in her career there, um, uh, you're basically saying as an employer, I'm willing to stand with you. And if you lose your job for speaking your mind, um, I'm with you. You're not alone. um, And I'm willing to hire you. And so the employers, unfortunately, not in your area, but the employers who have hired through Red Balloon have just said, man, the people we're getting are just extraordinary. So that's my pitch. If you're an employer, (laughs) great workers, and you want to encourage Americans, you should post jobs in Red Balloon. Well, you know, there's a bunch of businesses I solicit, and as soon as I walk in, they know I'm I'm Tea Party. I've been running the Tea Party here since 2009. So all of a sudden, it's like talking to me. So, you know, we do have businesses that would probably fit the criteria, but the matter of of getting them to sign up, that's interesting. Now, how would someone go about signing up? And if if you're looking for a job, is there a fee or is it just the employer that's paying the fee? How does it work? Yeah, great. Yeah, great question. So, yeah, if you're a job seeker, it is totally free for you. You can go on there. Um, not only can you search for jobs, but you can also put your resume on there. And once your resume is on, 
um, the employers who are already posting jobs can actually look and proactively reach out to you. And we've had a lot of employers who've had a ton of success uh, that direction as well. So it's free for job seekers, and there's a bunch of great content on there. Uh, we have Laura the Labor Lawyer, um, which is not only fun to say, but she writes great articles because she was a 20-year labor lawyer and um, helping you if you're in a company that's asking you to get vaccinated or asking you to put on pronouns and you're not comfortable with that, um, what should you do about it? So that's what Laura can help you with. Uh, if you're an employer, it's really straightforward. You go to redballoon.work, you go to sign up. Um, we ask some information about you so that we can um, present you well to the job seekers. Um, there's a fairly uh, nominal fee that you pay monthly to be able to have a number of job postings on the site. Um, and, um, and you'd be surprised. We're in a very tight labor market right now, so I can't promise that you're going to get flooded with applicants. But some of our employers have been flooded with applicants, even a very tight labor market, because there's so many people, so many workers out there that are just looking for freedom right now. And so, yeah, if you go to the site, it's really self-explanatory. You sign up, um, and then you're joining a movement. You're part of a community, and you're going to have access to great workers. Now, can the company be, like, anonymous and still post the fact that they have a job opening? Absolutely, yeah. This is because, you know, some of the employers that are um, on Red Balloon are finding that, um, you know, it's going to cost them a little bit to align themselves with a conservative brand like this. Um, and so we said, you know, no problem. If you still want to get access to great conservative employees, you can be an anonymous balloon um, and you can post jobs. And basically the employees, um, the job seekers can look um, at your job posting. They can apply for it. Um, and then only then would your brand um, be kind of available to the people applying to jobs um, if you actually say, I want to have a conversation with them. So there's a way to be anonymous. You know, we're, um, I'm not uh, judging people who need to do that because we're in a crazy world right now. Um, and I've talked to a lot of employers who are like, you know what, um, I am going to lose a lot of my customers because I would say liberals are better at uh, fussing than conservatives are. And so uh, we, uh, you know, for better or for worse. Um, and so, yeah, there is an option for an anonymous balloon. Um, you can also just get access to the resume database so that you can actually proactively reach out to conservatives and try and find the right people for your company. Now, you have different levels. Uh, you call them balloon packages. And they can either yeah. pay annually, which would save them, I believe, 10%, or they pay monthly, which breaks it up and makes it a lot easier. Um, but each one has different features, so by going onto their site, they can take their time, take a look at it, and you've got the basic package, then you have a pro package. So there's actually ten different versions, ten of subscriptions they can sign up for. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. So you know you want to find the thing that's right for you. So it starts at forty-four bucks a month, and you can just buy one month if you want, and it gives you two active job postings. It gets your business listed on there if you want to be listed. Um, on our list of businesses in the marketplace. Um, and so that's kind of where it starts, and we've had a number of employers. I had one recently down in Boise, Idaho, uh, who said they put up two job postings. Um, they got 10 applicants in 10 days, and they hired one of them, and they were thrilled to death, and they'll come back when they need to hire someone again. So sometimes there's an experience like that. And then we have other employers who say, you know what, I'm going to buy – um, 10 job postings, and I can swap in different job postings as needed, um, and I want to access to the resume database. I want to make sure that um, uh, consumers will actually see me in the marketplace, so I want to be kind of highlighted there. So uh, we want this to be as flexible as possible. And look, this is a, you know, this is a brand new business. It's a, it's a labor of love. 
but we're doing it because we want to be an encouragement to conservatives to know that there's great opportunities out there. And, you know, um, I have run a lot of businesses for a lot of years, and this is the only business I've ever been part of where I get unsolicited thank you notes from perfect strangers every day. From people who are just saying, you know what, you just saved my marriage because um, we were fighting over whether we were going to get a vaccine or um, I was just completely discouraged at work because they hated my worldview um, as a conservative Christian. And, um, and I've now found a job with a conservative or with a Christian or with someone who just allowed me to have my own belief system and to bring my whole self to work, as it were, um, which is really, really good. So, um, so this has been a fun adventure for me. Um, the, again, if you're an employer, there are different packages, different fee levels. Uh, but more importantly, um, it's, it's really fun to be able to encourage and hire other conservatives. They're going to be great for your company culture. Well, now, you don't have to be an employer or an employee looking for one. Uh, you can be just an average person out there that needs, say, for example, your car repaired or your yep. landscaping done. So they can go into what you call the marketplace and key in their zip code or, or area they live in and then just do a search through what you have listed, right? That's right. That's right. And we, and I'll be honest, we don't have a ton of businesses in there right now. Um, and so... Uh, but we do have a number of them, and that's growing all the time as well. And so if you, you know, I, I tell a lot of conservatives that um, it's kind of a safety feature for you because if your whole life is dependent on large, woke businesses, um, if you don't have any backup plan with other fellow conservatives, uh, then they have a lot of control over your life. Um, and they can, you know, cancel you or turn you off and put you in a very awkward or difficult spot for your family, um, whether it's, you know, Internet access or phone access or food access. And so I think it's really important for conservatives to kind of wake up a little bit and realize what these large woke companies are um, doing and take this opportunity to support fellow conservatives, because if you can support their business so that it thrives, you're going to have access to more goods and services from someone who's not going to cancel you because you have an opinion uh, contrary to the to the woke opinion that they might have right now. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a number of businesses in that marketplace. Um, there's also a video game that we launched last week, and I know that sounds kind of uh, funny no, to have yeah, a video no, game oh, on a... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. Let, let me put it this way. Uh, I kept on crashing. I kept on blowing up until I finally <laughs> figured out the rhythm. And I got myself up to eight hundred dollars on the salary. It it is fun. It is fun. And yeah, you got to tell them because if if anything, go on the site just to play the game. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You know. So basically, so the game is called Pronoun Landmines, uh, and the reason, which is kind of a funny name, but here's the here's the reason. Uh, that we put it together. One of the employees that I hired here at Red Balloon was at GE Health. So he was at a very large corporation, um, and he was constantly being put through DEI, which is diversity, equity, inclusion training, and CRT training, um, and all of this alphabet soup of trainings that he had to go through. Um, And he was, you know, he basically told his kids, he says, Kids, dad has a great job and he earns a ton of money, but there's a chance that I'm going to step on a pronoun landmine at work today. And if I do, it's going to cost me my job. Um, and so his 14-year-old son actually wrote this video game for Red Balloon uh, as a uh, kind of a true story of his dad where you just had to, 
navigate the political correctness in the workplace to be able to keep your job. Um, and so we thought this was a fun way to kind of poke fun at some of the silliness that we see. If you make headway on the game, you got to jump over these pronoun landmines. Um, you got to watch out for the Wuhan bat. Um, you might get an HR review. Um, if you um, get the right boosters, sometimes you keep your job, sometimes you don't. Um, and then if you do well in the game, you start to get promotions. And once you get promotions, then you're um, asked if you want to hire people. Um, and you have to answer um, questions in a way that the average corporate uh, hiring person makes you hire. Um, and so it's kind of a funny, uh, a funny thing. So, yeah, go on the, go on the site, click on Pronoun Landmines, um, and play the game. And tell a friend about it because, you know, the thing we're doing with Red Balloon is hopefully encouraging a lot of people um, to stand up, to uh, wake up a little bit, and to be aware of what's um, being pushed on us every day. You, you want them to wake up, not woke up, right? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And when, and when conservatives do, you know, as I, as I said, we're the largest ideological group in America, but we're the least likely to say anything. And so the more that we can let people know, look, we're not alone. We're in this together. It's fun. It's fun to be a public conservative. It's fun to um, not be afraid of what you're going to say and whether it's going to cost you your job. And the more of us that are willing to do that, the, um, I think it's going to be healthy for America and it's going to give us a chance to save America. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, you also have on there a blog, and um, I put a little asterisk next to one of the articles on job interviews, what not to ask. And I had a laugh yep. because I don't know. I used to own businesses. I mean, yep. I'm straight out of college with a degree in business, and I had a storefront uh, travel agency uh, straight out at the age of 20. So I, I know yep. interviewing people, and uh, I, I love when I would go out looking for a job, you know, they would, I would have everything prepared to a T, even to the point where my resume was on actually onion skin. So I was going to hand them oh, wow. something that came straight off a photocopier machine. So I always gave an impressive yeah. interview. But I don't know if I could do that today because you have to be so careful what you ask the person you're interviewing. Otherwise, you might get slapped with a lawsuit or you know, discrimination charge or something. And if you're the person being interviewed, you've got to be so careful because now you've got the landmines. That's right. No, and it, and it, is, it is dramatic um, what you're allowed to ask, what you're not allowed to ask. And so – um, in the last company that I was running, I ended up hiring about 600 people over the years. Um, and so I had an opportunity to interview a lot of people. Um, and it's tricky um, because it's hard to interview for cultural issues. I and mean, we all know that if you hire someone who is just going to be a pain in the neck liberal, um, then you are going to deal with them being a snowflake blizzarding in the HR department all the time about all the things they don't have or all the things the company needs to do or why aren't we, you know, saying something about BLM or why aren't we, you know, celebrating this holiday instead of that holiday. And so finding the right people um, is really, really important. And this is what some of the employers on Red Balloon have talked about is that filtering for conservatives who just want to focus on work and don't want to use uh, the company platform as an opportunity for wokeness um, is very difficult, but um, that's one of the advantages of Red Balloon. Um, the lion's share, if not everybody on Red Balloon, is a conservative who just wants to focus on work. Um, and they, the employers need to sign a pledge when they sign up 
saying that they believe in the Constitution and they're going to respect the freedoms. But the employees do as well. We have an employee uh, pledge that they need to sign that they're going to respect their employer's um, desire to just focus on work and not to um, try and be a uh, political activist within the workplace. And it's amazing to me today how many uh, people believe that their job is an opportunity for them to push their political activist worldview. And so, um, but we're finding the people on Red Balloon, the, the hundreds of thousands of people that have been on Red Balloon are there because they just want to focus on work um, and they don't want to focus on this other stuff. So some of my employers have said, look, I don't even have to ask some of those cultural questions that might get me in trouble when I'm hiring people off Red Balloon because I know that they're there to focus on work um, and not to just be a headache for me. Uh, but yeah, no, there is a whole list of questions you're not allowed to ask about salary and age and background and um, yeah, it's a landmine. Uh, and so uh, hopefully redballoon.org is a help to people. You know, uh, as I was doing my notes last night, I was watching this thing up at Newsmax where this elementary school, a kindergarten teacher, whatever it was, was upset because he couldn't tell his five-year-old his five-year-olds in the class that he spent the weekend with his partner and then having to explain that oh, his partner was oh and i'm like is this what what the workplace is really really digressed into and it, obviously if someone like you exists because of that it, it's very understandable it's a breath of fresh air to know that hey you know you don't care what i think you don't care who i'm with Let's just come in, do the job, go home. If you want to stop after work and have a beer or a drink together, I'll be happy to do that. But work is work, and then everything else is everything else. That's right. And and I remember a world where, you know, and and it wasn't that long ago when I, you know, especially when I was growing up in the Bay Area where, you know, I I have pretty significant disagreements um, in worldview or, you know, whether it's, you know, things like abortion or politics or any of those things that I would have great coworkers that I would be able to spend time with and focus on getting our work done. And then afterwards go have a beer and debate that stuff and still be friends. But we're in a world today that you're going to be shouted down. If you try and have an opinion contrary to what um, you're supposed to um, based on what these people are telling us. And so I, I see uh, red balloon as an opportunity for people to get back to, um, being kind to each other, uh, respecting each other's opinions and freedoms, and for conservative companies to to be able to find the type of employees that are going to be a huge blessing to their workforce. Um, I talked to one large employer on Red Balloon, and he said, every time I hire on someone on Red Balloon, it's cleansing to my culture. It makes my culture better because it is um, because I'm getting people that just want to focus on work and aren't trying to stab each other in back or get into office politics. They just want to do a great job. And so when we get more of that, um, we're going to see um, conservative businesses succeed, and I think America is going to be better off for it. Now, this was something I was thinking about because there was an excellent article in uh, Newsmax this month you know, about the situation of unemployment, and it, it is an employee's market. I mean, there's there yep. are so many jobs out there. People can actually pick and choose, and the best of the best, the benefits, the health uh, plans, uh, the retirement plans, you know, which company is going to be the best. 
but then again, you end up stepping into all those landmines. Have you thought about getting a lot of these companies together and maybe uh, organizing it where you have a a program for like your retirement or health or savings or something like that? You know, add it so yeah. it's conservative based. Yeah. No, that's a great that's a great point, and you're absolutely right on the labor market. Um, uh, Carl Camden, who used to be the CEO of Kelly Services, uh, he said the uh, war for talent is over and talent won uh, because people can kind of pick and choose the job they want today. Um, I actually one of the employers on uh, Red Balloon is MediShare, um, and it is a uh, a Christian medical um, mm-hmm. Insurance sharing company, right? Um, and there's a couple of those mm-hmm. that are kind of coming together, and they just came out with an employer program um, that's designed to have a uh, medical insurance program that does not require the employer to support abortions or support sex changes or things they just simply don't believe in. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's step one, but we'd love to do more. We'd love to be a resource for employers who really want to focus on blessing their customers, blessing their employees, um, and making money, which we think is great. Um, but, um, but it's hard to find resources that don't require um, craziness. I think uh, maybe a topic for another day, but I also want to focus on mission-aligned capital because if you're a business out there, it's hard to find investors who aren't going to require you to have a certain number of diverse minorities on your board or in your company. And really, uh, I think it's insulting to um, to hire someone based on their skin color than based on their ability to get work done. And so um, that's maybe a, a conversation for another day, but I'd love to see mission-aligned capital so that entrepreneurs can start businesses, they can hire the right people, they can get the right capital, and they can just focus on blessing their customers and not try and navigate the political correctness that is so prevalent in today's world. Well, you know, now you have to add me on to your in the news, the list of uh, places you've been interviewed on, because I was looking at that and like a a lot of them, you know, I know, uh, which is fun. Uh, You also have a store on there, and I was perusing the store, uh, and I like it, you know, work, not woke. uh, But what caught me, made me crack up, was the onesie. The onesies, for instance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right well and this is part of it is you know I, you, this is kind of a funny story but i actually had someone reach out to me in australia um, and that's actually the reason we have a bit of a merch store there had someone reach out to me in australia and say hey can i use can i make pins of the red balloon logo because we'll use it as kind of our secret signal that say we care about freedom and we've got a couple thousand people here who are tired of this tyranny, tired of the government overreach. And if you're wearing a little red balloon pin, just like the one you have, you know, just, which is the red balloon logo, we'll all know that that means, ah, you stand for freedom and you're tired of all this tyranny, which I thought was really funny. I'm like, well, I should at least have people be able to buy a T-shirt or a onesie or a hat and focus on jobs, not uh, jobs, not jabs or work, not woke. Um, uh, Do you, you know, got courage? Uh, because I think, again, more conservatives that are willing to actually stand for something. Um, there's a lot of us conservatives out there, but we're not always willing to say something. And the more we say something, the more we're going to encourage other people to know they're not alone. And so, yeah, that's part of the reason for the merch store. Um, and it's kind of fun. I like to wear red balloon stuff. 
Um, my kids all wear red balloon stuff. I've got five kids. And, and the other thing that's really fun is when you start a business like this, you get to uh, work with your kids. And so my son Jackson does all of our video editing. My daughter, who's also in high school, does all of our mailing. Um, and it's just fun to be able to work with kids and, you know, build a business, even though it's a tech business, it can still be a bit of a family business. Um, and we've been able to grow it pretty quickly, which has been really, really fun. Well, I wish you all the best. God bless you for the hard work that you're putting into this. We need more people like you out there willing to put their work, their, their, their word and their work behind what they truly believe in. And uh, that's right. And that's- we shouldn't be afraid. We should not be afraid to speak out. And we have to now counter that message. You know, hey, listen, you know, there's a time and place for everything. But you do not get to dictate to me how I live and what I put in my body. You know, it, it, yep. it's always funny because you've got the, the pro-choice uh, and they say, my body, my choice. But when it comes right. to taking a vaccine that could possibly kill you, you have no right. choice. It's no longer your body and your choice. So we've got to That's face right. down the hypocrisy and be able to stand up for what we believe in. And uh, your redballoon.work is a perfect starting point for people to uh, find their courage. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm thankful for your help in getting the word out because we want to see more employers in your area and all the areas. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking to someone recently. He said, you know, the problem is conservatives, um, you know, they're just trying to keep their head down and they need to stop keeping their head down. It's time for you to do something. Um, if you feel like you need to stay at your large woke company um, because you think you can reform it and make it better, then great, do something. Um, if you think you need to leave because that's the only way um, to really make an impact, then do that. Um, do something brave for other people, and you will be rewarded for it. The way that you know God built the world is when you look to bless other people, generally those blessings come back around on your head. And so um, there's an opportunity here for a lot of conservatives to stand up and hopefully I'm just a vehicle um, to help people be brave, help people stand up, but do something. Bless someone else. Do something for someone else today. Well, God bless you for that. And you got to tell, even though the name of this show is Southern Sense, you can hear my New York dialect. So I know what it's like when you were on the heart of liberalism. But I may not have been born in the South, but I got here as soon as I could. So look at it yeah, that yeah, way for your escape from California or the left coast. That's right. That's that's exactly it. Yep. No, and I'm in Idaho, and I live on 60 acres, and can see 100 miles from the front porch. And I married a good Southern gal, so I'm li- I'm living the good life. I'm happy. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll give your family a good hug, and I'm telling people to go over and check out RedBalloon.work. Whether you have a job to offer, you're looking for a job, or even if you need a business that you want to give your money to. So don't give it to a liberal company like Disney, but give it to a company that's over on Andrew's site, redballoon.work. Good luck, Andrew, and God bless. And you're welcome back anytime. All right. Thanks, Andy. Talk to you soon. Bye. Take care. All right. Check out Andrew, redballoon.org. All right. We've got our next victim up on the line. I thought he no longer loved me, but he said he does. want to welcome Raynard Jackson. How are you doing today? Annie, I am about to file for divorce to you. I have not seen your voice since the last time I heard it. <laughs> now, I think it you, if you don't love me, just tell me you don't love me, 
and you can have the house, the cars, and I just want the kids. Don't forget the pets. Don't forget the pets. Well, well, the, the, pets kids right. the pets the kids are the pets. The kids are the pets. It's the five cats. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Well, how you doing, Annie? And uh, see you. I'm oh, doing fine. Good to have you with us. Yeah, appreciate yes. it. Oh, man. I, you know I read all the articles you send me. Uh, and Are you still talking to me? Over, I, I, the last one I responded to, and that was when you were talking about the ghettoization, uh, Republican Party ghetto. I can't even say the word now. Uh, the way <laughs> we as Republicans attempt to go after minorities and how the method they're using is all wrong. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, why is it that this party and CNS and I talked about this a week or so ago, why is it that they feel like that they need to go into the hood and take women who've been on welfare, who've had tons of abortions, got filthy mouths, and show them off to the general public as, believers in conservative uh, policies and things like that. You can't find me a woman that's not dysfunctional. You can't find me a a male that's not been to jail. So why is this ghettoization of outreach to the black community as though there are no blacks who are successful, as though there are no black women who are single, who have functioning dating lives, who black women who have functional relationships, marriage, have kids, but why is this caricature of going into the black community always with negative pathologies? Yeah, you know, how many times I want to walk past somebody and say, "Pull your pants up," <laughs> you know? You know, it's, right. it's, it's it, why do you have to turn around and act like you're you're one of the cool guys? It, you're not cool. You're just, as we say in the South, showing your ass. Uh, no, right, literally. <laughs> yes, literally. But, you know, you talk to someone as if they're your equal. I would assume that you are just as bright and talented and intelligent as I am. Why would I try to t- treat you any differently? Why do I have to talk down to you but talk to you on an equal level so that you understand, you know, we understand each other better? Well, well, Annie, you do realize this sagging pants phenomenon is a part of the prison culture, and Hollywood has put that on steroids as far as the images they show a black. Even people like um, Oprah Winfrey, Tyler Perry, they show this debaucherous imagery of black folks as well. And, I, you know, elite white liberals especially are some of the most racist people on earth. And so, Annie, what you're seeing is a whole generation or two who have not had the presence of a black male around them. And this was done on purpose in the 1960s by uh, mm-hmm. the Democrats with welfare and food stamps yeah, and all that stuff. And yeah, yeah, exactly. So now we're seeing the results of what happens to a society when you remove the male, black or white, from the family unit, and you get little kids at three or four years old talking about they are a woman, even though they're born with a penis, you got uh, what what you saw in the uh, the Oscars the other night with Will Smith and the infamous smack. Listen here, no women don't want to talk about this, but Will's wife Jada Pinkett, who I know, 
very well. She emasculated Will for the past three or four years, having an affair with a kid, the age of Will's oldest son, and then him doing a rap song about the affair with his wife. Every chance Jada gets to emasculate Will in public, she has done that. And so that was Will Will's way of trying to prove to Jada that I'm taking my balls back, and it backfired on them tremendously. But this is what feminism will get you in the extreme. You know, <laughs> that, the backstory I didn't know. But um, I had assumed that it was all staged because they were just trying to get the rating numbers up and get people to start watching it again. <laughs> That's how I, I saw it. No, no, but, no. You know, this, it, was, this was not staged. Oh, and, and the thing, Annie and CS, that you don't hear people talking about, I wasn't so concerned about the smack. But when you look at the rage that was bubbling out of Will Smith during that time, that's concerning. But, again, Will has admitted all of his adult life that he has had some emotional issues. He was abused as a kid, and then he has an abusive wife on top of that that abuses him publicly, and it just, it just he couldn't take it anymore, and he snapped. Will needs some serious uh, um, therapy and counseling, and he needs to just disappear for a while. But to be honest with you, Annie, he needs to divorce that wife. <laughs> and see the way I looked at it. Um, I, I I looked at it and I saw an angry person. It was authentic, you know, his rage. And I believe, especially with the um, foul language that accompanied, you know, um, his verbiage. I don't think he won the sympathy of a lot of people. You know, you can get away with a smack, a smackdown like that in public if you have a sympathy of the audience who who are witnessing this. In other words, uh, if somebody calls your wife a, a slut or a whore, you know, then you, you're going to get some sympathy. But um, for what Will Smith did and the way he responded and the words that came out of his mouth and in the place they, they were at, you know, which was all about decorum back in the day, which today it doesn't mean anything. But uh, it was just, you know, like you said, it was disturbing, you know, to, to witness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and i tell you, the next, the next person who's going to have a, some type of uh, public incident like that, watch Aisha Carey, Steph Carey's wife from the NBA. She tries to upstage her husband at every stage she can. And she has crossed so many lines in their marriage. I don't know why Steph is still married to the girl. I, I mean, it's embarrassing to see men continuing to be emasculated by black women in a national manner uh, in public. It, it, it amazes me. And we better start getting some testosterone back in these the males black and white, but more specifically in the black community, because you can pass all the great legislation you want to deal with some of the, the crime going on in St. Louis, Ferguson, Chicago, New York, D.C., but until you put the male back in the center of the household, and I don't mean Johnny having two daddies and, and Julie having two mommies, no, a male and female, you're going to continue to have major uh, upheaval in the family unit. But you also need both parents also involved in raising the child properly. You know, um, I was yes. in a doctor's office a while back, 
and the manner in which the father handled the child he was with, the love, the care, the attention. Uh, there was an older couple sitting there, and all three were you know, African-American, and the older couple complimented the father on the way he was able to interact with his son. And that's what we need. We need not, it doesn't matter what color or race you are. We need the family, the parents to become parents. Don't let government, don't let the schools raise your kids. Don't let Hollywood and all the games raise your kids. You raise the kids. Right, Andy, but I have a question for you, my distinguished gentleman lady. Tell me when you say family, I need, and nowadays, you have to define to me what you mean by family, because I don't know what the heck a family is anymore. In today's woke society, I don't blame you. It's the pronoun. <laughs> what, is this? What, what, what do they call the pronoun bomb? Uh, but it should be one mother, one father, married together, raising the child together. The father working, bringing food in. If mom has to work, fine. But both parents raising the child. Okay, now we're on the we're on the same page then because uh, if you if you remember, Black Lives Matter's stated goal, CS, is to destroy the nuclear yep. family. That's on their own website. Yep. So this is not mm-hmm. uh, hyperbole. This is on their own website, and and I'm telling you something, and CS, if we as conservatives don't take a, a very aggressive, active public stand on the values we truly believe in, we can kiss America goodbye. Look at what Disney is doing down there where CS is down in Florida. They have lost their daggone mind. We should have a, a, a permanent boycott of, of Disneyland. How in the heck are you going to take your four, five, ten-year-old kid, grandkid, nephew, niece to a, 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 a amusement park when they're going to be bombarded with homosexual messages and transsexual messages, and, and, and you can't even have Mickey Mouse be Mickey Mouse. Now Mickey Mouse has got to be transsexual or, or gender nonconforming, all this foolishness. I want Mickey Mouse to be a mouse in the discussion. I think this new CEO of Disney probably shot himself in the foot. Walt Disney is rolling over in his grave. That is for sure. Yeah, Cause he yeah. would not have put up with this for one second, but this again is where the parents have to take control. I'm sorry. You're not watching the Disney movies. You're not watching the Disney cartoons. I'm not buying you any Disney toys or clothing or anything like that. Disney is out. We're going to have to find something else to, uh, for you to focus your attention on, but not that. And we have to also take back our schools, like you see a lot of us are doing. You know, one by one, the parents are waking up. And then those of us who don't have kids need to stand by those parents so that when they go to those council meetings, when they go to the school board meetings, we're there at their side supporting them. So it's not just the parents. It needs us also to give them the support so they have the courage and the strength to raise the family properly. There was no question. And you know what? And just think, if it wasn't for the Chinese virus, we would never know all these things because it was only because parents had to stay at home and their kids were doing their schooling through Zoom that parents began to see 
what their kids were actually being exposed to watching over their shoulders through video. And it set off a firestorm. So as bad as this virus was by the Chinese Communist Party, uh, 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 Annie, it turned out, I think, to be a blessing and a wake-up call to real Americans about getting engaged in the, the, the indoctrination of their kids in, in our public institutions and taking control by running for school board and PTA, et cetera. We got, uh, and and, as you know, Annie, I'm not a female anymore, but you get an angry (laughs) parent, you got a big problem on your hands. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you because, you know, our leadership in the Republican Party and the conservative movement has failed us, and I blame them. Because they knew what was going yes. on, but they didn't, they didn't yep. say anything. They didn't try to fight it. They just tried to get along, as they always do up there in that, that, that little boys' club up there in the swamp. But um, you're right. You know, we need to replace, get some fresh blood up there. You know, people are going to be fighters and people who see right. how, dangerous, how dangerous a situation we, we are in this republic. And uh, we need to deal with, the, you know, the school system as well. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, without question. Listen, isn't it amazing that America scores somewhere in the lower quartile, quintile of rankings on our grade school kids being able to read, write, and do arithmetic, but yet they know all the proper pronouns, but they can't do two plus two or five times six, but they know what name to call their classmates. It's ridiculous, and Again, see uh, us. You hit it on the head. We should take over the House come November in the election, and hopefully take over the Senate. But I tell you, see us, if these guys come up here and keep going along to get along and talk about, well, we got to respect. No, I don't respect anyone that's homosexual. No, I'm not letting a boy with a penis go around wanting me to call him a girl. I don't respect it. I'm not going to be delegate with that person. No, you are a boy. And yet, if you listen to conservative language, Andy and CS, why is it that before we even deal with the issue of homosexuality and transsexual, you see conservatives spending 20 minutes with introductory comments, well, I got family members who are this, and I, I think everybody needs to be respected. No, I wouldn't ask you, but I ask you, is homosexuality compatible with conservative values? And you give me a 20-minute introductory before an introduction before you can tell me, no, it isn't. I don't need all that preamble stuff. Just answer the recommend. They got us so petrified of being canceled and being called a bigot or other adjectives. Why can't we take our values and stand by them? Because these guys surely are not going to allow us to to not uh, for, have them force their values on us. When are we going to do the same thing? Where is Anita Bryant? And you two are too young to know Anita Bryant, but she's the one that pushed uh, this um, prayer in the school as well as um, uh, not allowed people back in the 60s and the 70s to teach this homo- homosexual agenda. We need some fighters on our side, and we need more engaged parents. And if these politicians see us, come up here and don't do what they told us going to do, we need to vote them out. And if they're the recall mechanism, we need to recall them before their term is over. Other than that, I have nothing to say about the issue. 
<laughs> no, you're, you're 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 too shy there. You're too shy. You know that. You just, just I'm working on it. Shy. I'm such an introvert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I have no problem, you know, saying what I believe in. I mean, I have a former neighbor, neighbor now that was a lesbian. And we would sit down and we would have cocktails together. And I said, listen, you know where I stand politically and I stand firm in my beliefs. And I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. And just, you know, as long as you don't tell me how to live my life, what you do behind the door is what you right. do behind the door. I don't need it in my face. And she was respectful of me on that one. She was absolutely a liberal, and often there, I'd be on one side of the street doing the sign waving. She'd be on the other side with the counter sign. <laughs> so at least mm-hmm. we were still friends and neighbors. And this is where we in America are going wrong. We're allowing people to create that great divide. We used to have the conversation. It wasn't where you have to do what I tell you to do, and you cannot tell me I'm right or wrong. And that's what we've devolved into. And like little lemmings, we just follow behind and go jumping off the cliffs to our own detriment. And we've got to stop that. We have to stop being the lemmings. I agree. But, you know, the problem is I had a major conservative leader just last week when we were out to dinner tell me that we, we meaning the party, we should not be involved in all these cultural and social issues. I stopped and right in this track that these are not social and cultural issues. These are American values issues, and either we're going to stand for it or we're going to fight against it. And too many prominent conservatives have caved into this radical liberal agenda, and they no longer want to fight. And I have a major problem with that. No, I agree, too. Now, I'd let you know right now, in district, uh, in the district I live in here in uh, South Carolina, our Nancy Mace is being challenged. There were five people challenging her. One person has backed out, and the lead front runner it happens to be Katie Arrington, who has recently been endorsed by Trump. And the individual who dropped out threw her weight behind Katie Arrington because she would have been a good challenger. And uh, there's a possibility we're maybe taking. Uh, Nancy Mays out and putting in a solid conservative into that seat finally. So that's right. what we have to do. Yeah, we one need by people going to fight. Yeah, there's no question. Yep, no question. Okay, Annie, when are you going to run? I thought I was going to see you run against uh, uh, Mays. <laughs> no, 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 no. But the days of my trying to do something like that are long, long gone. Annie's got too many fingers uh, and too many pies, and I, I. I'm doing just fine with my tea party here, uh, being involved in my uh, executive committee with the the county GOP and doing the radio show and taking care of my going-to-be-90-year-old mom. Um, I've got enough on my hands. (laughs) Okay, Annie, I will allow you to do that. I will allow you to do that since you brought up a 90-year-old mom, so that I can't argue with. If it wasn't for that then I would jump on your case, but because you're taking care of mom, there's nothing I will ever do to come in between you taking care of mom or you taking care of a little one. So that's where it tugs at my heart. So uh, as long as you're taking care of mom and she's happy, then I will give you a pass. Well, it was dueling walkers between my now late husband and mom. And it's, I used to have to play traffic cop. Wait a minute, mom. Here he comes down the hall. Yanni, Yanni, hang on a second. Here comes mom. 
literally, literally. <laughs> so taking care of the two of them at the same time, now I'm down to one. So that's all right. <laughs> I'll just I'll settle for that. Right. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. But even yet, school board sees me coming, and it's a collective groan. The county council sees me coming, and they know there is trouble. <laughs> so it's not. Wow. I'm quiet. Yeah. Well, hopefully you guys. No. Hopefully you guys know we have a mutual friend, and that's um, former Congressman Ted Yoho. Um, yes. Do y'all think he should run again? I believe he should. Oh, I support him. I would support him for, without question. But wouldn't he kick Kamak out? He's not in the same district, is he? Well, no, she took over for him, but heck, I think we could get him to run for Senate or governor. Heck. That's that's what I'm thinking, yeah. Mm. Matter of fact, that would be nice um, if Ron DeSantis ever decided to run for president. We can, um, we can um, get Yoho. Yeah, tell Gay Yoho into it, the position, the spot. I'm going to start talking to yeah. him about that. Yeah, well, yeah. We'll Ted would be good at that. Yeah. Because he didn't back down. He didn't back down to Boehner, Paul Ryan, or any of them. Exactly. <laughs> or AOC. <laughs> or AOC, oh, that yeah. one incident. <laughs> the famous, oh, yeah, the famous incident. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh, man, that was just too funny, too too funny. Anyway, that should have been um, a I to, <laughs> But I want to change <laughs> just one subject because um, uh, our President Biden, um, I was going to say Bozo Biden, uh, has come up with this <laughs> this tax plan that it's only going to be taxing people earning more than four hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, and it's not he's not going to touch the little guys. Doesn't that sound very, very familiar? Uh, isn't that how they got past the amendment for the IRS and income tax? Isn't that what they they promised the American people, that only the very wealthy will ever pay and you, the average guy, will never see have to be taxed? And yet, if you look at who is being audited by the IRS in larger percentages, are those that are on the low end of the income scale. Those that are 30000 or less or have no income, they're being audited. But that rich 1% are rarely audited. Now, are we going to trust our government, to, like Biden says, only those owning over 400000 Should we trust them, Raymond? Well, in the immortal words of my good buddy, Goma Powell, surprise, surprise, surprise. I mean, how do you know when a liberal is lying? Well, obviously when they open their mouths. And, uh, no, there's no way we should trust them. I think in one of these crazy trillion-dollar bills that Republicans caved in on to Biden, I think they have appropriated 85,000 new employees for the IRS. How stupid can you be? They are not going to be auditing Bill Gates and Elon Musk, they're going to be auditing the three of us and folks like us. And so, uh, listen, even if you tax the rich 20%, the, the super rich, it's only going to bring in, I forget what the number is, 50, 60 billion a year. Uh, Annie, we're looking at a deficit of in excess of $30 trillion. So $50 billion is a rounding error. 
So Biden is doing this because of the election coming up, but he knows it's not going to make a dent in the election. And listen, my thing is, Annie, if you made legitimate money and you are in compliance with the tax laws, I can't get upset with wealthy folks who don't want to pay taxes at all. If the tax law allows you to pay zero taxes, then we change the law. Don't get mad at the the billionaires for taking advantage of the law. These ignorant folks in Congress wrote the law. They knew what they were doing. So if you don't like the law, change the law. But don't beat up on folks who are successful. I just always have had a problem with that. Well, now you have to take it one step further. Because if you raise the taxes on those that have the higher income, which would include businesses, who actually Mm -hmm. in the end pays the tax? Not the actual business. They're just the person remitting it. It's going to come back down to you, the consumer. You're going to be paying higher prices all along the way. So all they do is they collect that money, put it from one pot to the next pot, and then send it over to the IRS. It's not coming out of their profit. Their profit margin is going to stay the same. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, but, but see, the liberals have done a, a marvelous job of convincing the average American voter that if I raise taxes on the wealthy or on businesses, it won't impact you. But, again, when you go to the grocery store, that box of, of cereal for your kids is going to go from a dollar to maybe a dollar two you're not going to miss that two cents increase. But again, they're passing the taxes along to the ultimate user, which is the consumer. And so you can't do, if you want, if your issue is taxes, uh, Annie, let me come up with this novel idea. We got over 40 million illegals in the country. If we kick them out, don't spend any more on social programs. The savings alone would be, would go a long way to reducing our deficit. If we took the money that normally would be spent on illegals, $40 million, and used that 100% to reduce the deficit, probably in 5, 10, 15 years, we would have zero deficit. Well, I would go one step further on that one also. Forget about the IRS. Forget about income tax day. Forget about your withholdings. Institute the fair tax. So whether or not you're here legally or illegally, when you go out there and you buy uh, those really nice sneakers that you always want, you end up paying that tax. So, yeah, you may be paying a higher tax, sales tax, but that fair tax means that you voluntarily choose how much tax you are going to pay by determining what you are purchasing. So if you don't want to buy that $2,000 TV and send that extra tax in and you go for the $200 TV, it is your choice. But no matter what you purchase, you will be paying your fair share of the tax. And every consumer equally pays across the board. Yeah. Yeah, I'm torn between the flat tax and the sales tax. I would, I probably can go for either one. I just don't know enough about them in detail. But I think a system like that, where everyone is playing on a level playing field, Annie, I can get behind something like that. Yeah, and then forget about having to worry about April 15th, which is coming up in two weeks. Um, Forget about having your paycheck cut because of all the withholdings in it. That's not going to happen. And matter of fact, you can even fund Social Security. 
with using the fair tax. I mean, it's an excellent book. If you ever have a chance to read it, it explains it very well, which is why I would support that compared to a flat tax, because a flat tax, if you're taxing someone on the low end of the income 10%, it's going to really hurt them. And you've got very, Mm. very same tax you're giving to the millionaire. They're not going to feel it. But a fair tax ends up being on a scale, so it actually helps someone on the lower income compared to who's on the higher income. Well, so what? They don't care how much tax they're paying on that yacht they just bought. They always have a couple of million dollars to throw away. They wouldn't mind. Sure, sure. But with someone that's on welfare you know, or just on that minimum wage job, it's going to hit them harder. That's why I like the fair tax. Right. And the other benefit from either one of those two, uh, Annie, is guess what? There will be no need for the IRS. Exactly. <laughs> and then we can cut the size of government because there will be how many less IRS employees out there? And, oh, by the way, exactly. why do IRS agents need guns, <laughs> right? Right, yeah, 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 because that's a taxing issue. It's <laughs> very funny. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> like I, yeah, I yeah, but no, you're exactly right. <laughs> I remember yeah. on so, the. Uh, no. I was going to say I remember on the whole Obama administration, they were buying up bullets, hollow point bullets, like crazy yeah. for yeah. all these agents. Even the agents that work for the Department of Agriculture, people were wondering, what in the world do they need hollow point bullets for? Yeah, there's no question. Listen, there is no need for us to have a lot of agencies that we have. And, again, we keep voting for conservatives who say they believe in small government, but yet they keep passing legislation that increases the size and scope of government. And I about had it. I I tell you, I don't vote for anybody that does not show me what they're asking if they're incumbent, what they promise versus what they've actually done. And I tell you what, I will vote for a radical liberal Democrat versus a conservative to prove a point that if I vote for you as a conservative and you get sworn in and you turn liberal on me, why why vote for the fake liberal when I can go vote for the real liberal? <laughs> well, we've got our next guest in. Did you want to hang out, Reynard? Because we've got Mark Tapscott from the uh, the Epic Times with us. Oh, no, I have to run to a meeting. But, Eddie, thank you for having me, UNCS. And don't make yourself a stranger, my friend. You're like a daughter to me. <laughs> I hope I'm young enough. <laughs> don't call me Well, I, listen, all you have to do is self-identify. It doesn't have to be based on reality. If you said you have a right to be believed. <laughs> Watch those Anything pronouns. Don't crazy. step on them. All right. Well, there is a link on the show page where people can get in touch with you, uh, RaynardJacksonYourName.com. And you also have links to your other websites that out there, too. So uh, great newsletters, and people should should start reading them. All right? You take care now. That's right. Thank you so much, Andy and C.S. All right, Renard. All right. God bless. Take care. We'll talk. Bye-bye. Check out RaynardJackson.com. Want to welcome back to the show his his bi-monthly, bi-weekly uh, visit, Mark Tapscott. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing? Uh, good afternoon, Ann. How are y'all? Oh, we're having a rock and rolling good show today. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I, I just, so much. I just, <laughs> I just caught the tail end of your previous guest comments, 
I love what he said about uh, conservatives that uh, talk one way and vote another. Mm-hmm. Well, he does run I've a consulting firm for public relations. And, yeah, he does public relations and political consulting So out of D.C., uh, Raynard Jackson. You may have run into him. It's possible. I mean, I, he sounds very familiar, and I, I like what he was saying. No, so do we, so do we. Hey, listen, uh, what's going on with Judge Jackson? Uh, We're starting to see uh, Mitt Romney waffle. Uh, Susan Collins said she will vote for her. Uh, What the heck is going on with with the Republicans? Well, don't don't be surprised. I suspect that uh, Romney will vote for Jackson, and Murkowski probably will as well. I don't. I don't think anybody here is surprised by that because um, Romney and Murkowski, and maybe a little bit surprised by Collins, but certainly not the others. Um, they just don't see a Supreme Court nominee in the same terms as um, as most of the other Republican senators. And you know, if if they think they're qualified, irregardless of their philosophical orientation uh, in their view, then their responsibility is the president nominated them, and if they're qualified, then the president gets who he nominates. Well, you know, it just seems like we're we're actually caving in. We hear where we're saying, no, no, we're <laughs> going to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate, and then we're going to work on the White House, and all of a sudden you see them going, wait a minute, you're no longer united here? So, well, you know, we got to get these rhinos out. But there, there is a, uh, a um, I don't want to call it a political split, but there is a um, political um, divergence uh, on strategic questions behind all of this. Uh, you may have noticed that um, the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, has been very aggressively uh, pushing very specific policy things that he says the House Republicans will do if the voters give them a majority in November. You haven't seen anything like that from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. And I'm frankly surprised that that, uh, McConnell's silence on what he would do, assuming he becomes Senate Majority Leader, I'm surprised that there hasn't been much at all in the way of comment uh, in the media about that fact. It's very interesting to me why he has decided to be silent. Uh, It's a good question, a very, very good question. And he narrowly got reelected, so maybe that's why he's keeping his his mouth shut, because he knows that someone's going to come up and challenge him because no one is happy with him anymore. I I don't think anyone's happy with him. Well, he's still the Senate Minority Leader, and um, the odds seems to me. I mean, I don't. I'm not privy to any particular inside information, but I think if they do become the majority uh, after November, that you would have to assume that he would become the Majority Leader. So, so I don't know. Um, one thing about Mitch McConnell is, especially when it comes to uh, judicial nominations. You you always have a pretty good idea of where he stands, and 
He's been real quiet on this one. He's going to vote against Jackson. I mean, he's been very critical of her. There's no question about that. But but the very fact that he's so open about question makes you really wonder, why is he so quiet about so many other uh, issues? Mm. Uh, forgive that's me, a very I'm losing one. my voice today. <laughs> you need a, you need been, a, a been, good build of a, a good much. scotch or bourbon or a whiskey. <laughs> that's what you yeah. need. <laughs> You know, we're seeing um, strange things happening up on the Hill, and uh, we have right now, um, they've got that Build Back Better bill that they've been pushing. And Joe Biden went out, it's like, the tax will only be on those over $400,000. You, the individual, never see anything. I mean, why isn't anyone out there fighting this huge financial burden that's going to be placed not on just our kids but our great-great-grandkids will be paying this thing off. Well, I think Build Back Better everybody is um, except perhaps Joe Biden has pretty well figured out that it's not going anywhere and they are beginning to pivot, if you will Uh, and when I say they, I mean the Democrats uh, on the tax issue, what they're moving to now is uh, last year they were talking about increasing the marginal tax rate on high-income earners. This year they're talking about a wealth tax, uh, which is pretty much unprecedented. It's not clear exactly how they uh, would want uh, would want it to work, but what it comes down to is. Biden is proposing that the government begin taxing um, unrealized gains. In other words, if you have an investment and you're going to make a profit on it at some point in the future, the federal government wants to tax it now. And now, think about what how I do just you tax, said. Yeah, well, how do you tax do you money tax that you don't have? Out? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that's so, what that's know, what they're talking about. An unrealized gain tax. It's pretty amazing. Yes. I mean if if I haven't even earned that investment yet, how am I gonna know how much I am going to earn on that investment and how do you determine how much tax I'm gonna pay on an investment I may never ever see? So if I don't extra interest or investment do you refund the money, the taxes that I paid? Well, they would have to obviously set up some kind of a system uh, that would um, essentially make a projection based on some set of facts or supposed facts and then and, and assess a tax on the basis of that projection and then have rebates if necessary. And of course, that would complicate the tax structure beyond recognition. And it, it's not the kind of proposal I don't think that's going to go anywhere, but it's indicative of the way uh, so many of these folks in Washington think. Um, there's a lack of realism, and there's, there is an unstated assumption that, that, you know, the government can do pretty much whatever it wants. And... That's not the way the founders intended this place to function. No, and I'm reading our, uh, the 26th Amendment, 
And I guess the reason why they're coming out with the idea of a wealth tax, because it reads, Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on income from whatever source derived without apportment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. But if you have not earned that income and you don't have that, and there is no source of an income you have not earned, how do you tax it? Well, the same way that going to your doctor under Obamacare, according to Chief Justice Roberts, is a form of taxation. That's interesting. The silence, yeah. the silence is the answer. How does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me either, but that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll come it, up with it any really sort of is, scheme. It, it really is yeah. quite amazing when you think about it. And then the other thing that, that really blew my mind was when Obama – not Obama. Boy, was that a Freudian slip – uh, Biden was talking about everyone will be saving $80 uh, a month if you drive an electric car. And you thought, stop and think about it. Well, fine, I may not be putting gasoline into it. I may be putting electricity, but I still have to pay for that electricity. So I'm going to be using up a lot more electricity, which I'm paying for. And I just got rid of the car I paid maybe sixteen, twenty thousand dollars on. Load is all paid off. But now I have to buy a car that on average is gonna cost me a minimum of fifty five thousand dollars compared to sixteen to twenty. And what am I gonna be paying every month to the bank to pay for that car? So yeah, I might be saving eighty dollars a month in gasoline, but on the other end how much more money am I going to be spending? It made absolutely no sense to me at all. Well, that's because it doesn't make sense. The electric vehicle scheme from the Biden administration specifically and from the environmental left for many years um, has been based on the, uh, on the fallacy that somehow the generation of electricity um, can be done entirely with renewables that don't create carbon, um, solar being the, the main one and wind being the other. The fact is there is no way that this country for at least the conceivable future is going to have the capacity to generate the amount of electricity that would be required if all of us suddenly started driving electric vehicles. That electricity is going to have to be generated somehow, and for the foreseeable future, most of it is going to be generated using coal and natural gas, and that creates carbons. So what they are effectively doing is forcing all of us to abandon what we know is Uh, a reliable, fairly cheap transportation system and going to one that doesn't even exist at the moment. It's it's a prescription for chaos. They're saying we want to make a zero carbon footprint, but in order to manufacture those vehicles, you need petrochemicals. Petrochemicals come from where? Oh, drilling for oil. (laughs) 
So everything from the paint on the vehicle to the upholstery to the wiring to every little bell and whistle that is on there requires petrochemicals. Oh, but you're not going to use gas to power it. You can use solar panels. Well, solar panels contain arsenic and other carcinogens that are toxic, and you have to just dispose of them very carefully. You cannot just take them to local landfill and dump them and think they'll be buried and then corn is going to grow suddenly from wherever they're they're planted. They're highly toxic and they're dangerous to the environment. But then again, in order to make the batteries and other components on an electric car, you need rare earth elements. And those batteries are what? Highly toxic and need to be disposed of properly because they're dangerous to the environment. So, oh, yeah, that's nice, clean energy, but what did you do have to, and how much did you have to kill the earth to get that? And where does most of those rare earth minerals come from? Oh, China. gee, oh, dude. Please tell me. Oh, yeah. China. And didn't China now have access to Afghanistan? No sooner did we run away from Afghanistan, leaving all of our equipment and our, our people as well as our allies in Afghanistan behind enemy lines. But Afghanistan is a huge source of also rare earth minerals. And the Chinese, within five seconds, were there shaking the Afghans' hands, sh- talking to the Taliban, and said, we'd like to mine those rare earth minerals that you are so rich yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, some, sometimes you, you, you look at what's going on in Washington, D.C., and all you can do, Ann, is just shake your head because there's a reason why it's sometimes called the fantasy land on the Potomac. It is a fantasy land. And unfortunately, the rest of us out in the real world have to pay the freight for it. Yeah, and wait a minute. And now, now, who's the largest producer of electric vehicles? Well, it's going to be China. And next is India. India is an ally. That's no big deal. Where did Elon Musk just recently open up a factory? In the Wuhan province of China. Gee, isn't that interesting? So where are you going to get your electric cars? They're not going to be made in America. They're going to be made in China. So what are we doing? Why would you take our entire wallet, hand it to the Chinese and say, have at it? Here's the credit card. You know, go ahead. Whatever you want. Just roll right on over me. Yeah. 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 It's well, like I said, it, it's a scheme. Well, don't we face don't we face disaster if we all went electric um, cars and buses and everything and we have some kind of magneto electro or electromagnetic attack? Yeah. And EMP. I mean, we went. I mean, it, the EMSs wouldn't be able to get to you. <laughs> Fire department wouldn't be able to get to you. Everything would be electric. And everything would be fried. All the circuits would be fried. If we have an EMP attack, guys, we can all kiss it goodbye. <laughs> Put your head between your legs and kiss your sweet patootie goodbye. And and they still they're still talking about uniting the electric grid and have its control in one spot. Now wait a minute, haven't the Russians (laughs) been hacking into our power grid 
our substations and all other different places? And haven't the Chinese been also infiltrating our government computers and, oh, geez, hacking into our DNA databases? Yeah. I don't see any problem with this. Let's, let's unite the, uh, the, the power grid and let's buy our cars and all other precious things from China. And I see no problem with the survival of America. I, you know, come on. President Biden <laughs> sent them a list of 16 areas that they cannot go to. And I'm sure that they are going to, the Russians will absolutely respect that. Right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. You know, we can trust whatever is coming out of this administration. And oh, by the way, there was nothing behind the laptop. There's nothing behind Hunter. So I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to pay more taxes. I'll buy an electric vehicle, and there's nothing behind the laptop. Yep. Nothing behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would like just one day when I don't have to look at a naked or half-naked Hunter Biden on the TV screen or in a news article. I mean, all right. We finally have the Washington Post, the New York Times, and uh, some other papers, CNN, finally admitting that there's something to the laptop. So next thing you know is another picture of Hunter Biden walking around naked. (laughs) Please leave that picture out. Concentrate on what's inside the laptop. I don't want to look at him. Please. Well, I'll tell you, you, you. Don't don't assume that because the Washington Post and the New York Times have said they have partially confirmed the laptop, that that means that they are admitting that Miranda Devine and the New York Post three weeks before the 2020 election was accurate and correct when she first started reporting on the the uh, the laptop. They very carefully couched what they said to leave themselves the ability to say, well, we confirmed part of it, but most of those emails that are on Hunter's laptop, we couldn't verify. And therefore, it still may be a Russian hoax. So <laughs> that's, that'll be the next thing that we hear. Or, or do you think we'll ever get a retraction from those 50-some-odd, was it, FBI agents that said there's nothing there? It's it's a, it's a hoax? No, no, we're you, never going to hear that. You mean the intelligence experts, quote-unquote, that said this has all the markings of being a Russian hoax? No, we'll never hear oh, yeah. that. <laughs> never. Never, never. No, um I have a question for you, though, um, because Dr. Oz is running in Pennsylvania for the U.S. Senate race, and he's right. stirring up quite quite a, a buzz. Uh, and recently, the White House fired him from the Presidential Council. Uh, I think anything that Washington tries to do against Dr. Oz is only help to boost him in the ratings and get him more votes. So um, what's your feed coming out of D.C.? Well, I, to be honest, when I first heard that they were telling Dr. Oz and, and another individual whose name suddenly escapes me. Um, that they uh, had Sean to, Spicer? They had to, 
Yeah, Sean Spicer, yeah. They had to, um, to quit the council uh, on fitness, I believe. I, I thought to myself, is that what these people are devoting their time to? There's a war going on in the Ukraine. There is still COVID. You know, people are still dying from it. And they're worried about some obscure commission, uh, council that nobody ever hears about. They're, they're focusing on who's a member of that? These people have got some really strange priorities, I'll tell you. No, I, we've got a massive... Entirely apart from say, the fact that Dr. Oz is uh, entirely capable of, um, you know, responding uh, in an appropriate manner to some to something like this. I mean, it really is is. I, I I'm just I was dumbfounded by it. <laughs> Absolutely, and we've got a porous border on the southern border. We've got a, an army, a whole invasion coming over. And we have border agents no longer able to do their job because Title 42 is going to expire May 23rd. Uh, and we are worrying about locking American citizens down for another round of COVID, but we're letting people in with all sorts of diseases, all sorts of crime histories, uh, trafficking, uh, human trafficking, drug trafficking. That, that, that's not a problem there. But Dr. Oz no. is. Dr. Oz is. That's you. You have said it better than I did, Ann. The, their priorities are totally screwed up. You know, we hear about Black Lives Matter, and they want to talk about the critical race theory and how we have been oppressive, a slave nation, and because I was born white, I'm, I'm attached to slavery. But we have human trafficking coming across the border. Men, women, and little children are being sold into either slavery in sweatshops or in the sex trade. Uh, yep. I don't know if you caught the news yesterday, but the Border Patrol stopped a vehicle that had caught on fire. And yes, the driver bailed. And inside there was a huge duffel bag. And one of the agents was smart enough to grab the duffel bag and then realized there's a person inside. Yeah, they were being smuggled in, and the smuggler left that person to die in the back of that burning car. And these yeah. are the people we want to allow to cross our border. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. And forgive me, but I am going to have to to, to sign off here now. Um, I, you know, I'm sure in the next couple of weeks we will have many, many, many more things to talk about and be amazed by from the Biden administration. Well, people can find you at Hill Faith, which you still run, as well as reading yeah. your articles in the Epoch Times, or as we say, the Epic Times. Both pronunciations are correct. Just depends upon whether you want the Greek version or the American version. <laughs> but, Mark, you do great work. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you, Ann. God bless you, too. Talk to you next time. Take care, Mark. Okay, talk to you soon. You too, Carl. All right. All right. All right. Well, our next guest should be calling in in just another minute or two. Matter of fact, what I did not do, in case he didn't call in, Curtis, was to send you his phone number. Uh, which I will try to text you real fast in case he doesn't uh, 
call in on time. So just bear with me and as I shoot this over be, to you. That would be Jonathan Butler, a butcher. Right. Butcher. Butcher. Or is it pronounced French Bouchard? <laughs> Not, okay. Uh, let me see if I got this phone number right. Okay. Okay. All right. Just shot it over to you. All right. But he normally calls in. He normally calls in on time. So. Um, yeah, we got two minutes. All right. <laughs> Holy moly! You know, um, I, I I was really glad to see that uh, I had um, Ingrid Centurion at our tea party uh, this past month, uh, and she was one of the ones that was. She was one of the ones that's challenging Nancy Mace. Um, there's still uh, Lindsay Piper Lomas, and there's two other gentlemen. So there's now a total of, uh, of four people, along with Katie Arrington, that are, are running against Nancy Mace. But as it stands now here in District 1 in South Carolina, where Nancy Mace has been a sitting rhino, um, looks like Katie Arrington has a good chance of upsetting that seat. So keep our fingers crossed come this November. I'm going to see uh, if I can get Katie Arrington to come back on the show because she was here, I think, just last month on the show. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, she's always fun. She, she, she is a huge, huge uh, bundle of energy and uh, an amazing woman with an amazing amount of strength in her. Because if you had seen her two years ago, she was lucky. She was very, very lucky to have been alive. But it looks like uh, we've got Jonathan in. So let's welcome back onto the show uh, Jonathan Butler, a butcher. See, I just did what you did. You, you pronounced his name wrong. Now you got me doing it. <laughs> Jonathan Butcher, who is the Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, Jonathan. My co-host pronounced your last name wrong, and now he had me doing it. <laughs> That's okay. All is forgiven. Great to be with you this afternoon. All right. Yeah, there's, there is so much going on in the education today, and, and I'm so glad to see that parents are finally realizing what's going on in the school system. Some of the things that you know we've all been heralding, saying, hey, listen, wake up and smell the coffee. But because of COVID, now this is all coming to the forefront, and a lot of parents are starting to take control back. But, you know, because of COVID, uh, we have always talked about the problems with the child's development because they're no longer in school. Uh, they're forced to be behind masks where they cannot mentally and socially develop properly. Uh, but this is a, an article that you recently wrote just yesterday uh, about the urgency of the school choice movement. You know, uh, tell us, besides what I said, you know, about the article and, and what you were trying to communicate. Well, we wrote this piece because something that hasn't been talked about enough is the increase in students who are seeking either counseling services or mental health or who have um, uh, attempted suicide or who have, um, uh, you know, been, been counseled over, over these issues or sought therapy uh, either during COVID or since COVID. And so there's this um, sharp uptick that's been uh, found by uh, medical health associations, and uh, it's, it's very concerning because not only now are we seeing an increase in the percentage of students earning Bs and Fs uh, around the country, but now we have, you know, this very serious uh, problem, just like you were saying, of the development of our young children. 
Um, and uh, I think that a lot of it can be attributed to some of the very strict policies that really um, changed the way that students had um, their routines. Well, you know, I've, I've always wanted to know what your opinion on this was because over the years we've seen a rise in autism, uh, an unusual amount here in the United States compared to any other country in the world. And many of us have said there's got to be something in the environment, possibly even in the vaccines that we give these kids. With the rise of autism and now with the COVID lockdowns, um, we have they have a huge problem with de- developmental because again they're not in a routine uh, and there's there's no mental health or physical health to help them through the day. So we're talking about just not the everyday kid; it's the kids also with autism that are suffering tremendously. Yeah, without question. I mean, children with special needs were among the first who um, you know we feared for because their services, you know, their, their day-in, day-out uh, regular services, some of which involve intensive therapies, were interrupted by um, uh, the policies that were enacted during COVID that closed schools to in-person learning. And that's why, you know, a couple of things that I wrote during the pandemic made the point that children who are using education savings accounts in Arizona and North Carolina in particular, I, I found some families in those states who are using the accounts and were able to continue with the same education therapies as before the pandemic, even during COVID, uh, to, to demonstrate that ESAs have a, are they are a unique solution that allows families, even in you know some very difficult circumstances, uh, when uh, you know when the pandemic set in, they were still able to help their children succeed, um, and still able to continue the. Um, uh, the very important therapies that were necessary for their children. So, um, it looks, uh, South Carolina lawmakers are, are considering a proposal for education savings accounts, um, and I think uh, it's it's just nothing short of urgent today. You know, and in the piece that we wrote this week, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Children's Hospital Association declared mental health as an, among children as a national emergency uh, just last fall. Um, there's a, a been a sharp uptick in the emergency room visits for attempted suicides over the past few years um, compared to 2019 before the pandemic set in. So, you know, you have both this issue of children with special needs uh, who had, did not receive services during the pandemic uh, who need help now, and you have a sharp uptick in students going to the emergency room for attempted suicides as evidence that there is a, a new mental health crisis that Um, We need to not forget. And again, this all brings it back to why giving parents choices in education is so important. Well, you know, uh, the education savings account, the ESAs, um, we have been active on that here in South Carolina. Uh, I actually had the um, Senate President Shane Massey and our representative who happens to run uh, preschool uh, were one of the ones that was really pushing this forward. So it looks like it's going to pass, uh, which is great because it doesn't matter where you school your kid, how you school the kid. You can do it at home. You can send it to a religious school. You can send it to a private school. You can send it to a charter school, public school. The money follows the child. And it's 
just for that child's education. So whether or not you decide to homeschool them, it is wonderful. And especially with kids with autism, uh, they now have it where they have these robots. If you're homeschooling your autistic kid for a, a, a reasonable amount of money, you can buy or lease these robots, and an autistic kid has a way of interacting with these robots more than they can in understanding interactions with another individual. And the child they see, they see now is able to develop and learn on a better and, and easier rate. So using that yeah, money I mean, for something like that is wonderful. For most certainly, I mean, I think education savings accounts can help students from all different backgrounds and walks of life. I mean, children with unique special needs uh, can be especially well served because parents can use the money in the account to buy unique services that uh, they know meets their child's needs. But one of the children who I've written about is a child in North Carolina who has a very rare uh, special need that confines her to a wheelchair. Um, she is not able to talk. The only way she can communicate is with a somewhat, uh, you know, elaborate apparatus that involves her eyes and her, you know, and her fingers so that she can uh, communicate with those around her. And, you know, these are the kinds of, of uh, services and therapies that likely would have been out of reach uh, for her if, if her family did not have access to an education savings account. And, you know, look, the big picture today, and I explain this in my book, uh, Splintered Critical Race Theory and the Progressive One Truth, is that, you know, we have not only these needs that parents see their children have uh, with children with special needs or with a physical, um, you know, a physical need, but you also have parents uh, very upset at what is being taught in a child's school when they realize that lessons about radical gender ideology or radical racial uh, ideology is being uh, taught to students that actually pushes racial discrimination. Um, and so, you know, it, it makes our, you know, our attention and our concern right now to what's going on in K-12 just so, just that much more urgent. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the book because it's up on Amazon. It is due out April 19th next month, <clears throat> titled Splintered, Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. And I'm definitely going to have to get a copy of it and then uh, read it and have you come back so we can do a separate segment, not a heritage segment, but a separate segment and help you to hawk your book. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. Well, that sounds great. Thank mm -hmm. you. Now, um, Growing into this mental health mix with these students, with these lockdowns, being unable to socially develop because of the masks and the separation six feet apart, and you, you can't eat your lunch in the lunchroom because you're sitting too close together, so you've got to sit outside in the, in the cold and the rain and, and separate. Uh, we also have now pushing uh, this LBGT whatever community ideals on these kids at a very, very young age. And not only suicide for the isolation, but now gender dysphoria, where this would be maybe one in 100,000. Now you see it almost as if it's an epidemic in itself. Uh, now you also have Ron DeSantis signing into that law uh, protecting kids and parents up until uh, I believe the third grade, or is it the sixth grade? I forget which one. Uh, but up until the third a certain grade. point, they third are not grade. able. To, yeah, third grade. And 
it's a huge step in the right direction, but we have these agendas being placed on the kids between critical race theory, between Black Lives Matter, and now between transgenderism and gender dysphoria. When do these kids have time to learn ABC when they're being fed all of this other crap? Well, I think, you know, we, it's, it's a, a right approach for everyone to be, to be very sympathetic uh, when children are having confusing thoughts about, you know, their own bodies and especially as they kind of go into middle school and we're getting close to this, you know, to the period of puberty and, um, you know, pretty significant physical changes are happening to them. Um, I, we are not doing them, uh, we are doing them a disservice, though, if they are allowed to go either to school personnel or to a, a doctor and say, look, I believe uh, I want to change my gender and go by a different pronoun and, and then not tell the parents, and this is actually policy in some schools, that schools uh, are telling teachers don't tell the parent if a child comes to school, a minor comes to school and says they want to change their gender or go by a different gender. And the danger here is that, for one, there is no other case, there's no other um, situation in which we allow a patient to go to a doctor and the patient tells the doctor what they want or what they need, and the doctor doesn't ask questions and just prescribes medicine to them. And that is what is, uh, happens altogether too frequently in the case of children who are kind of confused about where they think they are in, in this area of gender, and uh, you wind up with um, students going down the path of changing their gender identity which again is, is that's a gender is an kind of an ambiguous term here because it's separated from biological sex, right? Biological sex is that is in fact science. That is, you know, we have an issues of fact here where you are born male or female. Uh, the cases of which you know those things are confused in biology are very very rare, uh, much much more rare than the instances of children saying they want to change their gender. And the, the good news and what I think we need to be telling educators is that 80 to 95% of these cases of children who say they want to be um, a different gender, it resolves itself by the, by the time the child enters uh, the end, you know, the middle of their teenage years, the end of their teenage years, um, and the child, you know, understands their physical biology and is able to live a, a happy life and, you know, pursue their own human flourishing. Uh, what's going on, though, is that students are going to educators, they're going to doctors and saying, I believe that I am a different gender, and a doctor uh, will just comply, and they'll go down the path of perhaps even beginning to take life-altering medication, right, puberty blockers uh, or other hormones that could make them sterile later in life. And then further down the path, there could be actual physical surgeries that will change an individual's appearance, you know, change a child's appearance. And so if they leave a parent out at the beginning, you're severing the connection between a child and their parents over this very, very important issue about their physical biology. Well, you know, they're not only being assaulted in this manner by these ideals in the school, but also because there are people that are out there grooming these kids. Uh, you're not sure whether or not you're a boy or a girl. You know, maybe you're, you're non-binary. 
that's another one, you know, you're non-binary. Or you know, they'll convince the child, and the child craves attention and love. And what better way to obtain it than to agree with this other individual saying, I, maybe they're right, maybe I'm not who I think I am, and maybe I'm feeling this way because I want to be someone different. Uh, then you also have the assault by sites online where if they go and do a search and all of a sudden someone sees them there, they also pull them in and groom them. And the child thinks, hey, I'm getting all this attention, so maybe it's true. And as you said, separating them from the parent, where does that child have to go to find a reliable and trusting source of information and love? Yeah, without question. I mean, I think because it is a sensitive issue, right? I mean, it is something where children are... Um, uh, in a, you know, they could be in a place that's that's confusing to them. There could be, uh, and it, and often frequently is the case that there's something uh, that they experienced in their early, you know, early years that have made them confused about their biology and gender, and they do need appropriate counseling to help them deal with those feelings and with with those things that happen to them. Um, and but unfortunately, when you take them down the path of just affirming that uh, they are changing their gender, you are pushing them down a path that could lead to some life-altering changes that they will regret in later years, as we've seen from uh, people who have detransitioned later in life. Um, there are several um, you know, good books that have uh, documented these cases. Uh, my former colleague Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally, discusses these cases, as well as Abigail Schreier's book, uh, Irreversible Damage. They interview uh, people Tyre. who detransitioned. Say that again. Yeah, Walt Hire. Walt Hire happened to have been someone. Oh, yes, he's, that's he's, one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a fantastic individual, and he's one of the ones that lived, I think, it was something like eight years as an actual full woman. Well, a man being a woman, uh, and then ended up transitioning back. And uh, Sex Change Regret is his book. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, I think that I think is what we're trying to protect young people from. I mean, how can someone who is you know, in K through three, be able to make a decision about the rest of their life at that age. I mean, these are children who, you know, are barely learning to read, um, right? Uh, it's to, to say that we should allow them to make a decision about what gender they choose to live the rest of their lives as is an incredibly risky endeavor at that age. Um, and and it's, it's important, I think, for listeners to understand what the Florida bill actually says. It's been characterized as the, quote, don't say gay bill, but that is right. an utter mischaracterization. The bill never uses the word gay. Um, it never says don't say gay. Um, it simply affirms that you should not be teaching sex education material to children in uh, K through 3, especially material regarding gender. Uh, it affirms the idea that parents should be partners with schools uh, when it comes to a child's learning experience. And these proposals are actually – other proposals like this have been under consideration around the country um, for the, the very same reasons, right, that uh, lawmakers are understanding that schools should not be allowed to keep material about uh, or information about a child from their parents. Now, we need a, an affirmative a parent bill of right that, you know, you can't take the kid to a doctor and, and have these, this stuff done to them. You shouldn't be a guidance counselor and hiding from the parent what the child is doing in school. Uh, you don't turn around to the child and say, don't tell your parents because they can't be trusted. 
Sure, and this is the way that public education. That's right. I mean, this is the way that public education can drive a wedge between families, and that you know, in um, in my book Splinter, that's one of the things that I talk about is that there is, I think, a, a a national identity that we should be sharing, and we need to understand that public schools they shouldn't be used as a wedge, right? They shouldn't be something that divides communities. They should be something that reflects the values that we can share about America being a place of freedom and opportunity, even as we recognize the um, the faults in our past of, of slavery and the Jim Crow era. Um, it's important to recognize that even in the 1940s, people who were commenting on the United States, such as uh, Gunnar Myrdal, who wrote the book The American Dilemma, he said that um, you know racial discrimination and prejudice are so inconsistent with the American creed that it, it, the two things cannot coexist. And, uh, and that helped to become a precursor to the civil rights movement in the 1960s. If American history were to be taught, but instead we see everything else there, founding documents, you know, what, what caused us to become America? What makes us so uniquely America? What is our history? Yes, we had good things and we also had bad things, but they both should be equally learned and said these bad things happened, but because we are good people, a good nation, we were able to rectify the problem and correct our path and make this a better society and a better government and a better country. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I think that there are lawmakers around the country who are working on their state standards, especially around history and social studies, to make sure that those ideas are are in there. Um, Louisiana's uh, state superintendent actually just helped to let a a rewrite of uh, the state social studies standards uh, to call them freedom standards, um, because that's uh, a a core, you know, core idea they wanted to make sure was preserved. Um, I tell you an interesting story, and I talked about this the other day when I was um, at an event on my book, and I was uh, earlier this week to a group of high school students, and one of the students um, was asking questions at the end, and he said, you know, you were quoting Martin Luther King a few minutes ago. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't remember doing that. What, what do you mean I quoted Martin Luther King? He said, yeah, you were, you were quoting Martin Luther King. And I said, well, I said, I was, I was quoting that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator uh, certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and then we just sort of went on and, and finished with this question. But it didn't dawn on me until later that I don't know if he understood that, Martin, that the Reverend Martin Luther King, didn't orig- those words didn't originate with him that they originated with, you know, the Declaration of Independence. And I, and I don't know, and that's kind of a sad, you know, sad state of affairs. I mean, maybe, maybe he did, but um, he was so insistent that I was quoting Martin Luther King that uh, I don't know if they understood, right, that that originated, right, with our founding ideals, that our founding documents. Yes, and that's the problem. They're not being taught. Now, here in South Carolina, we passed it a number of years ago that on the higher education that they be taught. Uh, I believe it has been passed now for the public school system, the regular school system, to also include those documents. And what really gets me, my blood boiling, is that law schools don't even teach this. You would think the founding documents, the Constitution, are things that should be taught to attorneys. So how am I going to have my rights protected? How am I going to protect my child's rights or any, help anyone else protect their rights if the attorneys don't even know what the heck those rights are? 
Well, the frightening thing is that law schools are where critical race theory was developed. I mean, critical legal theory was the predecessor to critical race theory. And the critical race theorists themselves, I mean, Kimberly Crenshaw, Derek Bell, uh, Angela Harris, I mean, they are the late Derek Bell. I mean, they are law professors or were law professors. And they say, I mean, they wrote a whole book called Critical Race Theory, The Writings That Made a Movement, where they outline in the introduction how they developed critical race theory from critical legal theory, which was they, the theory in law schools that American law is systemically oppressive, that, that the law is biased. Um, and uh, the critical race theorists added to critical legal theory the idea that not only is American law biased, but it's biased because it's racist. It's biased based on racial grounds. And they uh, are, are supremely critical uh, critical in the way that we understand the word as in criticizing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, Derek Bell, the, known as the godfather of critical race theory, says that the, um, the Civil Rights Act is an example of interest convergence. He says the only reason that the Civil Rights Act became law was because white individuals wanted to preserve their power, which is an incredibly cynical take on that fundamental law that is so important to all of us that makes it illegal to to practice discrimination um so it's you know this is the kind of these are the cynical ideas that are percolating in law schools and they're taught all the time in law schools it's very common to find critical race theory or critical legal theory or both taught in uh in law school well you know People are going to have to go to heritage.org and pull up your articles because you also have a, a little booklet on there that you wrote with uh, Lindsay Burke, uh, Dr. Burke, The Not-So-Great Society, which also explains a lot of what is going on and its origins going back uh, to Johnson and before. And so you've got a new one coming out April 19th up on Amazon called Splintered, Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. So we've got to get you to come back for that. And I'd like to talk to you uh, at another time about this article that you wrote with uh, Dr. Burke. Yes. So the Not-So-Great Society is a, uh, an invited volume that we uh, put together several years ago with some excellent scholars from Harvard and Stanford, uh, Eric Hanyshek, uh, Paul Peterson, uh, wrote chapters for us, as well as a number of others, uh, including uh, Patrick Wolf and uh, Corey DeAngelis. Uh, too many, really, to, to name. But it was a, it's a look at how the federal footprint in K-12 schools and higher ed became as expansive as, as it is right now and created a system that no longer is reflective of local communities and state, um, state governance and priorities but Washington trying to impose its will on local schools. And I'll, I'll give you a, a quick tidbit here. Our next invited volume is uh, going to be shipped soon in April. It's called The Critical Classroom, and that's also a volume of uh, containing essays from a number of tre uh, tremendous scholars talking about critical race theory in K-12 schools. So uh, that's a, a teaser because that will be coming out soon as well. Well, Jonathan, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, education is the foundation of our, our country. And if we lose the kids to bad education, we lose this nature, nation forever. Well, God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. And we, like I said, got to have you come back on real soon. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, Jonathan Butcher, check him out over at heritage.org. That's all we got for today. We're down to our last couple of minutes here, Curtis. Uh, We will be back uh, next week. Um, Oh, oh, Joe Pena, who's running for uh, against Chuck Schumer, will be uh, joining us again. And I'm trying to see if I can get Andrew Giuliani back on also. But uh, that's all we got for today. So I'll leave everyone with the song. By my friend Gary Pecarella, Save America. So until next week, I say good night and God bless. And oh, happy April Fool's Day. And yes, we did have a radio <laughs> show today. <laughs> until then, take care. I'm